0: Listening to the bomb hole. Bomb
1: podcast.
2: It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody.
3: <laughs> the bomb we
2: going
1: to slide down in big
3: hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We're about to embark on a banter marathon here, presented by Pub Beer. But first things first, we always got to ask Stony Buds, how are we doing today? So good, my dog. Nice. That's pretty solid. Pretty so solid. Could have been better? No, yeah, yeah no, <laughs> it was okay. I <laughs> would right. say, you know, it's not the best, not the worst. All right. Uh, to my left, we have Spencer O'Brien in the booth today. Spencer, how are you doing?
4: I'm great. Thank you. Stoked to be here.
3: We are so happy that you're here today. And for the listeners that are unfamiliar with Spencer, Spencer is a boss. She's an Olympian. She's an X Games gold medalist, along with a bunch of other medals at X Games and U.S. Open and all those contests. She's the first woman to land a backside nine in competition. She is one of the only few Olympians snowboarders coming out of Canadian First Nations. She's a huge inspiration to snowboarding as a whole. She's got a very unique, inspiring perspective, which we'll get into. But I think we should start with uh, where you grew up and the environment you grew up in and what, what that looked like.
4: Um yeah. Um thank you for the kind words. <laughs> um I grew up in Alert Bay, British Columbia, which is a s- very small island off of Yeah, big time air airhorn air for that place. Uh actually it has the world's tallest totem pole. So Wow, got, another we, air
1: horn. Yep. How tall is that?
0: Uh
4: I think it's like a hundred and seventy feet. Ooh, that's yeah. a big totem it's pole. A, it's a big one. Um, but yeah, I grew up there um until I was kind of like in grade school, and we moved to a bigger town on Vancouver Island. Um, just kind of practiced to school and sports, but learned how to ski when I was like two, and then finally traded in for the the old board when I was eleven.
3: And that was Mount Kane, correct?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's like super tiny little co op uh, ski hill on the north end of Vancouver Island. It's it's like a going back in time that place.
3: And your mission to get there sounds like it was pretty exciting. Like you had to take a ferry and then. All that.
4: Um, yeah, we'd take like the first ferry from Alert Bay, which would be like six in the morning. And then it's about a 45 to an hour long drive to the top. So, you know, kind of like a good couple hours um, to get up there. And we never had a place up there as kids. So we would do that drive every day with the ferry. And my dad just, I don't know, he loved he loved it. So we would go up there every weekend and as as kids. And that's where we all learned how to ski.
3: That's so sick. I was watching some footage on YouTube of uh, your dad, and he seems like a ripper. Like He's like 50-50, 180 in boxes. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of putting a beat down on the park.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, I've nicknamed him the mayor of Home Park. <laughs> yeah, big-time air home for, for my pops. If, if anyone's ever ridden Whistler, they have met him. They've ridden a chairlift with him. He's rattled off a ton of contest trivia. He knows, like, so much about competitive snowboarding it's kind of nuts um but yeah he's gonna be 70 in february and he is still hitting park jumps and hitting rails and yeah it's it's pretty sick to see
0: he's hitting rails at 70
4: yeah it's nuts like he like rides park every day like he Jeez. he snowboards more than i do wow
0: and he just seems like supportive and the chillest coolest dad you could ask for right there huh
4: oh yeah big time Um uh, i'm like so so grateful to him for like everything he did for me in my career. And, um, yeah, even, you know, once my career was established, he just like loved to come and be around the scene and be at the events. And, um, he would drive down to Colorado every year for due tour and do like the few weeks early season leading up to ride, just to ride park for himself. And then he would come, he always came to, um, due tour X games and us open every year he would come and, selfishly that was also for his own boarding because he loves ride park <laughs> yeah. there uh, that's a
0: long drive though too it's not it's not like some easy jaunt right there for us to go to colorado six hours for the diehard. yeah that's like really hardcore driving right there
4: yeah yeah we did that trip a couple times together uh, driving down because you know go down for like a month early season or whatever to to get ready for tour and um yeah we did that drive a couple times i'm surprised we survived it to be honest <laughs> it's a long time in the car with your dad <laughs>
3: It is. I was talking to either Robin or Leanne, and is it Brian O'Brien? Yes, <laughs> Brian O'Brien. Brian O'Brien. <laughs> Love that. Great dude. name. It is a great one. Uh, what, what last question about your dad. Did he ever compete in like USASA, they have like the, the like over fifty class, mm, and it's like legends. I, forget, so I think it's called Legends or something like that. I can't remember the name. Did he ever? Does he ever compete?
4: Um, no, he hasn't really ever competed. There was never like anything like that really growing up, but he did do Baker banked a few times. He actually dislocated or separated his shoulder. He like hit like the small stub on the gate and like tommied and or like separated his shoulder and then rode the rest of the course. He didn't even DQ. He like finished his run.
0: Kept going. (laughs) Did did he start snowboarding when you guys started?
4: He actually started after us. Um, uh, we all skied and then both my older sisters started snowboarding, um, and when I kind of got old enough, I got the choice to snowboard or, or start ski racing and I wanted to be like my sisters. So I followed in their footsteps and then, um, yeah, so he taught me and my mom together and then he taught himself. So he was like the last one to learn, but he's definitely the most diehard of us all.
3: So going back to your childhood growing up in Alert Bay, um, it seems like it was a really unique experience growing up in a native community. Uh, I just want to like, hear more about that, because I'm personally fascinated with it, and I think it's really cool.
4: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm indigenous on my mother's side. Um, Our lineage is Kwakwakiwak and Haida. So Alert Bay is in Kwakwakiwak territory. Um, The Numgeese First Nation is there. Um, Our band is actually a little further south, um, just off of Vancouver Island, and it's like Ligwathau territory. But yeah, we were born in the Bay and it's a really small community. It's like f- 600 people live there, I think. And it has six kilometers of paved road. Another world record they actually used to have was the most amount of cars per kilometer of paved road. <laughs> Which is wow. like the most, like how do people even know <laughs> yeah. that? So random. figure those stats out? Right, right? <laughs> <laughs> the most random thing ever. But um, yeah, it's like a super tiny little place, but it's so beautiful. And I feel like so lucky to have been there um, as a young kid and that was kind of when we had the most exposure to culture was when we lived in the Bay. Um, when we moved away we got all you know we got access to some better schools and we got access to way more sports and you know a bigger mountain to ride at but we definitely lost connection with um, culture when we left.
3: Yeah it's interesting um, we'll get into it later but uh, PLW your your film coming out is incredible but we got a sneak peek of that and learned a ton and there seems to be, like, all kinds of, like, um, kind of deep socioeconomic issues that are new to me. And, and, again, while we're talking about this, like, we're here to learn. So if we're out of the line, just feel free uh, to kind of dumb it down to layman's terms for us. But, um, yeah, it seems like the, the like, residential schools are a huge problem. And, like, there's kind of – it seems like your guys' heritage was kind of, like, ripped away and tried to basically be erased, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, you're bang on. Um, you know, through um obviously indigenous people have been in, you know, all of, all over North America, um and other parts of the world for um well, like on the coast we say like time memorial like as far back as you can go, like that's how long our people were there. Um but yeah, when when colonialism happened and you know Canada became Canada, um, they came up with this plan to basically to assimilate the indigenous culture um, or the indigenous peoples. Um, and how they chose to do that was by residential schools, which were these really awful institutions where they would go into indigenous communities and they would take the children away from their families and they would put them in these boarding schools. Um, and there's, you know, countless, countless accounts of, of abuse, Um Murder, sexual sexual abuse, um, you know the list kind of goes on, and and the entire purpose of these, these institutions was to er, remove the culture and to assimilate the children at a young age. So they were they were beaten if they were spoken their language. They were given English names. They weren't allowed to say their 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 actual names. Um, and yeah, the and they were given religion. So I think, yeah, the flip side of that, they were like, Oh, we're we're helping these people, we're giving them religion. Um but in in reality they were, yeah, trying to erase an entire culture.
3: Yeah, sending you to like sending people to, to make you white academy basically and like yeah. erase your erase <laughs> yeah, your take, <laughs>
0: like, take it's the so language away, yeah. take all your all your customs away and strip it down. That's horrible.
4: Yeah, it was it was awful. And um, you know, I think not a lot of reconciliation had been done, um, up to that point. And this is like really recent, the last residential school closed in 1996. Really? Yeah. So this is like not, you know, ancient history by any means. And, um, you know, like my, you know, my, my great grandmother and her, like my great grandmother didn't, or sorry, not my great grandmother, my grandmother didn't go, but like all of her siblings went. Um, and even my mom went to like a form of them, which was called day school. Um, So it's, it's really, really recent history and there's a lot of trauma associated with them. Um, And recently about, I think almost two years ago now, um, they actually found a mass grave at one of them with over 215 like children's bones and remains were found. And um, that kind of really reopened that conversation and um, within our country and within like, how are we making up for this and how where is the reconciliation happening um so there's there's been steps that are being taken and it's it's really great that people are are learning about it and wanting to understand more about it because it's a pretty dark part of canada's history that i think really almost kind of got forgotten about
3: i think you know we we can't buzz and i are from united states so we don't know necessarily as much about uh canada's history but in the states you know they don't. They don't really teach a lot of
0: yeah. kind of Native American history just and things like that. Don't they just like us. pretend it doesn't exist? Yeah. So I,
3: it, I think the the flip side that's really good is is that this is actually coming back to light and people are reconnecting and and acknowledging how important the history is because I mean getting you know in your documentary talk about getting arrested for. Potlashes, which is basically you guys' ceremonies or dinners basically, yeah, right? Yeah, and so ceremonies. it's like if you throw the throw a ceremony you can get arrested and like get Just for rid having of all a little ceremony. The, yeah. So so I think the, all these things like getting reconnected with the culture and what you're doing now, I think is is really cool and, and being a bit of a spokesperson for it, I think is also really cool.
4: Thank you. Um yeah, it's it's been really special for me to Yeah, kinda unpack that part of myself. I you know, I I really kind of put it on the back burner for most of my life and it's just been really empowering and really enriching and just I don't know you know, I just like I feel like I know myself so much more now and uh and yeah and it's great it's just I think you know what you just said about America it's the same in Canada like growing up in school we didn't learn very much about indigenous culture and it's like that is Canada's culture like that and it's it's America's as well and um yeah it's just cool to see that it's it's coming back to light and people are interested in learning more. And, and um, yeah, it's kind of giving all, all the different nations and tribes that power to kind of reclaim again.
3: And we got a gift uh, (laughs) for the listeners that can't see what I'm holding up. Why don't you explain what this is? I'm going to rock this. I'm going to rock this chain. Careful. Don't get that caught in your lip. Yeah. Yeah. Um. (laughs) We got
0: ourselves a grin here. here.
4: big catch <laughs> big fish um yeah so I wanted to get bring you guys something and I was kind of struggling thinking about what to bring and I figured I should bring you something that really represents me and my culture and this is a traditional Haida halibut hook my uh, niece's grandfather uh, Eugene Davidson makes them and yeah Yeah, Chinny Jean. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is um, exactly how a halibut hook would have looked like, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it's how the Haida people um, provided for themselves. And it's wood. And um, I think these ones are yew wood uh, and then bone. And so, yeah, it would float down to the bottom and then the fish would unknowingly take a little chomp out of it. And next thing you know, you got a big old halibut. Or a big old grenier. Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool to see just how a handmade tool to catch fish looks like. Cause we're here, we just go to Walmart and pick up a lure and <laughs> don't catch halibut with them, but with trout and all that. It's just really cool to see that.
3: Yeah, this is, you know, it's cool. It's like, uh, you know, at the bomb hole, you, you come for the snowboarding, you maybe you learn a little bit about life. A bit exactly, know? about life. <laughs> Incredible. Um, We'll we'll get back into that stuff, but let's let's maybe change gears and talk about um kind of your arc of your career and how things got started and, and where did things really start turning on for you where you, you dove into to snowboarding and like you're like, all right, I think I, I can do this or wanna make something of it.
4: I guess <laughs> for me it was kinda when you know, I was I was growing up, I was doing some small contests, I was like doing it on the weekends and a lot with my family. Um, and my older sister, Megan was doing pretty good, um, competing at like local events. And, um, I guess when I was about 15 slope style kind of became a thing. Cause before that it was like always just pipe contests and I I was into pipe, but I wasn't very good at it. I really didn't like hiking. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I started riding slope style and it just like connected so much more with it. And, um, yeah, I think when I was 15, I, I won a couple of, um, like local British Columbia contests, boredom slope style. And there was another one called showdown over the city. And I actually got noticed by Roberta Roger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her and Sean Kearns had a, um, a small agency called infamous management and they kind of, they took me on. So they were a big help in the very beginning of my career and, uh, ended up, yeah I right at the time I rode flow for like Burton and Dragon and Etneys I think and yeah kind of just went from there but yeah Roberta and Sean were really great they helped me get into like I think my first ever big contest was the triple well it was Van's triple crown but it was when they did like the bar event it was like best all-around rider they had this like crazy course at North Star and I remember going there when I was like 16 and just being like what am I doing here like I have <laughs> I can do like a backside 180 like what? who did we fool to get me into this contest? But yeah, kind of, that was the first time I kind of got to ride on that kind of stage and it kind of just carried on from there.
3: One of the things that is fascinating and incredible and a testament to just the drive and and the motivation uh, is that it sounds like you used to write letters to somebody over at Burton (laughs) and send like contest results and stuff. And like, um, and basically, from from what I understand, you maybe got sponsored. Uh, a big part of it was by you <laughs> essentially sending a bunch of letters That's to so Burton, cool. right? Just throw
0: the old results in the, <laughs> yeah. in the envelope, send them on the way. And, and you have to realize
4: these results were like last place, well, in like, like BCSA <laughs> contests.
0: Like 14th in... Uh <laughs> <laughs> like, uh,
4: like not good results at all. I was not winning anything.
0: But you were still sending them in.
4: Yeah, I... When I was like... 13, I guess, I was just like, I want to be sponsored. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I was like writing all this hand-me-down stuff. And I just like had met a few few people at contests who had sponsors. I was like, oh, how do you do that? And I had no idea. So I just looked up Burton's head, like head office. And I hand wrote a letter with a couple photos and sent it in. And they were, I actually have like letterhead, like my rejection letter from them that was like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like thanks so much for your interest but, but we're gonna um, pass
0: on you today
4: yeah. <laughs> well he was really nice he's like yeah we're gonna like send you like here's like your local rep like that's how these relationships start you don't just start writing for burton head office when you're 12 and no one knows who you are
0: that's true huh
4: <laughs> um so yeah that guy's name was jeff martino hugh dear for him i love you jeff um the guy
0: that sent the, le- the rejection letter no oh. he so
4: he got the guy who sent the rejection letter made the mistake of giving me Jeff's info. So he's like, and so I just immediately started emailing him every single time I did in the contest or like learned a new grab or a new trick. I was just like, Hey, what's (laughs) up? I can do this now. Like, (laughs) I learned
3: mute grab today. Send. (laughs) Send, Yeah.
0: Persistence. My toe-side turns are looking good out
1: there.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you,
4: persistence pays off. It really does. Because I annoyed the crap out of him, and yeah. he finally gave me a snowboard. The
0: That's old squeaky so wheel gets the yeah. grease yeah. Big, scenario. Big time.
3: That's so good. So I'm curious, around that time, who were your inspirations that you looked up to?
4: Uh, I definitely looked up to my older sister, Megan. Um, really, yeah. She's a legend. Um, she had a, a, a career career. Mostly um, in backcountry, she was, yeah, kind of like mischief film days, runway film days. She had a few parts out, which rode were pretty Rosie right? Yeah, she <laughs> rode for Rosinell, and actually, she rode for Forum uh, for really? a bit too. Yeah. yeah, for Forum and for Arterics. Um So, yeah, she had a little, little career there, which was awesome for me because I really looked up to her and got to follow in her footsteps. Um, and then also, I was always like a crazy big fan of Victoria. And Jana,
0: Victoria Jalouse and Jenna Mayan.
4: Yeah, those two were my all-time faves. They still are my faves. Yeah, I still incredible. watch Vic's parts, and I'm like, how do I be like you, <laughs> style god? Yeah, I think those were like the biggest ones at that time. And then obviously Tara, and you know, I just I started to get so into all like I just like wanted every snowboard magazine and watch every movie, and um, yeah, I was just so into it. I loved it.
3: Okay, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Woodward. Woodward Park City is about 15 minutes from SLC and two miles past Parley Summit. They're open 365 days a year with twilight lift access for biking and shredding as conditions allow.
0: This one-of-a-kind action sports community hub takes the whole idea of Huckett and Hope away from action sports with foam pits, trampolines, airbags, proprietary training equipment,
3: and some of the best coaches in the biz. It's also maybe one of SLC's only indoor skate parks. Love that we can skate year-round, buds.
0: Yeah. Drop in for a session or lesson or go all-in with a monthly membership.
3: Woodward Park City is a one-of-a-kind training facility with trampolines, foam pits, coaching, all designed for progression. They got the progression all the way from learning how to snowboard to chucking back tens and... Uh, Winning slopestyle contests if you want. So head on over to Woodward Park City if you're in the Utah area. All right, let's get back into it. Now, I want to talk mindset. Let's get into the hard-hitting topic of mindset because I was watching some YouTube videos doing our deep dive research, and you were saying kind of the mind is a powerful thing. 90% of snowboarding is mental. And I just want to hear you elaborate on that.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I think especially competing – um that was kind of the thing I struggled with the most um was yeah just getting my head in the zone and then being super confident on game day and like being able to perform on like for that little 30 second run you know it, I always I just that was always my biggest battle was always with myself and it was always with my mind and my own self talk and um and even just like my perspective like I think when I first started competing I I really was like looking at other people a lot and like getting upset if I the judges didn't give me the score that I thought I deserved or I didn't get the place I wanted. And um, that always just like put me in like the worst state of mind where I was like, okay, now I'm like kind of snowboarding for other people. And it's like not about me and it's not about my riding. Um, so kind of once I was able to like make that shift mentally of being like, you know what, I'm going to look at a course and I'm going to be like what is like what's the run that I want to do and what's the best run that I can do and kind of like work to achieve that and then if I can do that run like do I really care if I get last or if I get first like that's like the whole point is like me doing my best and I once I kind of made that shift I actually started like winning a lot more contests and doing a lot better because I wasn't focusing on other people and other people's riding because I was never a sick enough snowboarder to be like, Oh, what? She just did something. I'm going to, I'm going to just go change my run real quick and do something different. It's like, you know, you work all week to build up this run and you know, you got to kind of stick to your game plan. So that was a big shift for me. And, you know, I felt like I worked my entire career on the mental side of, of competition and just trying to like master that. I think, you you know, you see riders that have it and it's like Mark and Jamie, like uh, insane under pressure and, I think not everyone has it and some people have to work a lot harder for it. And, um, that was definitely for me, I feel like the riding part always came a little bit easier than the mental side, that stuff I've like, and I feel like I still work on it, but I think it's like that never ending thing. So yeah, I think to me it's, it's, it's almost more than the physical, um, aspect of snowboarding is just like getting your mind in a place where, yeah you can envision doing a new trick or doing a run or riding a line, whatever it is that you want to achieve. you have to like visualize it first
3: mm-hmm. and so much good stuff there i, I what I kind of heard as you were talking too is you know you can you control you control how you ride, you control what run you do, but you don't control how the judges score you. Mm-hmm. You don't control what other runs people do, and it sounds like you were maybe earlier on were we're kind of concerned with other people landing runs and adjusting and not getting scored well, but those things are out of your control. So that's kind of cool is like kind of to hone in on what you said, or maybe take a highlighter to it. It's like, you know, focus on the things that you can control. Um, I just think that's, that's fascinating that mindset stuff. And, and do you have any specific things that you've done that have helped with mindset?
4: Uh, yeah, I worked with a sports psychologist. I still do. Um, it's a little different now that I'm like not competing anymore. Um, but I, I have a lot of habits that I learned from competing, um, or that I, you know, I tried to adopt to like make myself more successful in that, in that world. And I definitely have carried them over into the back country, you know, um, there's a lot of parallels and a lot of things that, that kind of coincide. Um, but yeah, a big one is like I still do this actually if i'm like really nervous to hit like a jump in the backcountry like the night before i'll be like hey what do i want to do on the jump like how do i want to feel like you know because i think that's a big thing for me is confidence like i i have always struggled to have really really like strong self-confidence and um really believe in myself i can let like the n- negative negative self-talk kind of get in there and really like demoralize me um so yeah i still do that i'll like write down the night before like how do i want to feel tomorrow like what kind of snowboarder do I want to be? Like, how, how do I want to ride? And it's kind of silly, but it, it it's worked for me. And it's um, something that I've really carried over from my competition days.
0: Do you take that into other aspects of your life, too, or just snowboarding?
4: Um, mostly just snowboarding, at least, like, the writing it down part. But, yeah. no, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's all valuable stuff. You know, it's, I think that's something, like, a lot of people struggle with is, like, believing in themselves yeah, the and, confidence, right? Yeah. And having like, and it's not being like cocky, but it's just like, if I'm confident in my snowboarding and, or even confident in who I am, like it changes the way you carry yourself in the world. And, um, it definitely, definitely affected my snowboarding. Like, man, just, I mean, probably talk to a couple of my old coaches, they'd be like, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> just like a totally different rider depending on, you know, where my mental state was.
3: Well that's an interesting thing talking about competitive snowboarding cuz we never did it on the level that you've done it but even on the scale that we've done it at I remember thinking back feeling like okay I really want to do really well at this contest I really like I want it so bad I want to try to podium like you want it so bad and then when you do do great you're on top of the world you're you're flying close to the sun you're you're yeah. feeling great but inversely when you do horrible you feel like complete trash and it's really interesting because I think there's like I, I want to ask you did, did you tie some of your self-worth to your contest results
4: 100% I think I tied like most of my like identity and like life to like not it's maybe not always like contest results but to being a snowboarder and and yeah like I yeah it was like competition's a hard thing to let go of because yeah when you yeah, when you win and you're like on top of the world and, you know, every it's like everyone's congratulating you, like there's like it's like this crazy euphoria and you're you're on this crazy crazy high. But then, like you said, when you're when you lose or you ride really badly, it's like the lowest of lows. Like you're so so invested in what you're doing emotionally, physically, like everything is invested in this like 30-second contest run, which it's really funny being removed from it now cuz I'm like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> But when you're in it, like that's what matters, you know, like every, everything you, you do goes towards completing those runs and, and, you know, and it is, yeah, a lot of your self-worth gets wrapped up in that and it can, yeah, there, you know, if you're not doing good and you can kind of go spiral really quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I think what you said too is something that that is really important earlier you're talking about self-talk. I think it's really important to become cognizant of our self-talk. Like the way you speak to yourself is is really it's it's really important. And if you can even notice like wow, I'm being really mean to myself like why would I say it? Like, it's like, yeah, you fell on a front seven. You're not a piece of shit. Like, okay, dude, like it's all good. You know what I'm saying? But, it, but like, that's how I was. I was like, Oh, I'm such a fucking piece of shit. I fell on. It's like, no, you're not a piece of shit. You just, just go back up yeah, you and, fell. and land it. Totally. Yeah, you know?
4: Yeah. I know. I, I was just that like, man, I would never talk to another human being the way I talk to myself. <laughs> I'm yeah. so mean. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be such an asshole to yourself. <laughs>
3: So let's dive back into the, the contest uh, stuff because I think was it 11, 11 X Games appearances? What so six, five, medals, six five six medals. medals? I
0: think I read. Um,
4: and yeah, a gold. Uh, yeah, I got a gold at X. I I have six medals, like physical ones that I own. But then X Games has five because they did this weird thing with uh, the teen X Games in France, where they like just decided that one of them didn't count. Oh, <laughs> so weird. So I think Jamie actually Take has one, one less back. gold then she should have like she should have one more gold in her tally. I don't know why they did that. But yeah, I, I own six, but I only have five.
3: If you got six, got six, you got six. If you got six, medals. you got six medals. Yeah. Not... But it, it, yeah, it took me It's ten... simple mathematics. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? yeah.
4: <laughs> I can see them all. Um, but yeah, no, it took me 10 years uh, to win gold, which was pretty cool. I was 10 glad. years for yeah. your first gold. Yeah, I was pretty glad I finally got that one because, I mean, X Games to me was always like, that was it, you know. Like there was an Olympics when I started riding slip style and um, it was kind of always something I guess I hoped for a little bit was to get to do that. But X Games was like the end all be all, um, and I had pretty much won like everything else. I just like hadn't won X Games, and I was really getting to the point where I was like, "Ooh, is this ever gonna happen?" Like, "Shit, <laughs> I'm running out of time."
0: I can just imagine the announcers talking about that story, the build up to gold, <laughs> ten year journey. <laughs>
4: Yeah, it was it was cool. I was um, really, really stoked. Um, I, yeah, that's like, like my favorite win and our favorite contest experience, I think, um, that I have. And I, I, I just remember watching Jamie because I, I like dropped pretty low in the order. And I think it was my second run that won. So we had like a whole nother round. And I did my run and I didn't, you know, improve my score or anything. So I just had to sit there and watch like everyone else ride. And I remember Jamie Kane came was coming down, and I was like, oh, man, I'm so screwed.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but, yeah, then they they gave it to me, and, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was just so stoked. It was awesome.
3: It is cool watching a bunch of your old contest runs and seeing your progression of your snowboarding, too, in those runs. Um, and particularly the one that was kind of baloney. Like, you put down the first back nine in competition, and which was – monumental move, but then you got kind of... uh, You got kind of dickered on the score on that. Um, Dickered? Yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, I I have, like, a... This is another thing X Games did that, like, drives me up the wall a little bit is... Um, I'm not the first woman to do a nine in competition and I'm not even the first woman to do a back nine in competition.
3: Oh, really? Yeah, just yeah like I don't to know. Put that out there. they just
4: like, they're just like so clickbaity. <laughs>
1: it is.
0: Yeah, they like have to like build, build that up.
3: It's like, I,
4: I, yeah. I literally correct it every time in every interview and it's like... I don't know. It it's just like this thing that I can't shake now. That I almost just want to like be like, yeah, sure, I'm the first yeah, one.
0: It's easy. <laughs> well, it's cool to, to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just be like ah, whatever. Not um, but one. I would
4: like to say that Jana Mayan. Yeah, did, I was gonna. Say yeah,
0: I was that. gonna say we. I think we talked about it on the show. Yeah, once.
4: Jana did Cab Nine. I think in like 2010 or 2011, like um, long time ago, it was off the toes too. Super sick. Um, and so that was in Aspen, and then also Sheryl Mast did back nine in teen i think a few years before the one that i did in aspen and i remember talking to x games about it and being like why did you guys say that like that's not true and then they tried to say that Jana didn't land cab nine and i was like i was there she definitely oh, landed it you were
0: even there yeah
4: i was like she definitely landed it. i watched it in person and then they said that because shereel did back nine at the teen that doesn't count
0: this is wow. some bizarre. And stuff they're really—they're just trying to build up their like hype for the show. The, well,
3: that didn't happen. It yeah. wasn't yeah. a competition. But
4: I don't—you know—it's—it's how—and it's, this medal doesn't count
0: either. You only have five.
4: <laughs> well, it's just weird. I think I don't know. Like, there's all like internal stuff with it, and I'm—you know—sure yeah. internally it makes sense. But it's just sometimes funny as an athlete because you're like, wait, what?
0: Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't quite get that.
4: And it's hard to keep track of the first-evers and all that and everything. And, you know, that's the stuff that makes the TV show, and it, it builds it up, and it makes it exciting to watch. So I kind of see it from both sides. But, yeah, I don't like to claim that because, yeah, props to Jana and to because those ones, they really paved the way.
1: Respect. Yeah, it's
3: incredible. Well, going going back to that, it seems like some of those, those results where you maybe didn't get the score that you deserve, you know, uh kind of gave fueled the fire to keep it going
4: yeah big time um i mean that that event for sure like that run wasn't like i was riding super good at that contest like i I did that run so many times in practice so good and, and then my actual run i just like i was kind of sloppy i like kind of slapped a couple grabs like it, it just wasn't as good as it could have been so i was like bummed but i kind of like understood a bit as well like it's still got to look good and um, but then I did back nine again that year at U S open and, um, I, th- and I was like that, that one I was really bummed about. I think I got third. Um, and yeah, it was, it was funny. And remember Anna's interview, she, she got second. And she was like, I don't get it. Why didn't Spencer beat me? Mm. I don't get it. <laughs> she just like fully called it out. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> that's
0: always when it happens like that, that's always good. Cause even the writer knows themselves, you know?
4: Yeah, I think it's like, you know, I always yeah, I think it's nice too when your fellow riders, like yeah, you know, say like that that that's worth a lot too. You know, and but yeah, Anna's Anna's always had my back. She's she's a gasser girl. we're talking yeah, about. Right? Gag, yeah, yeah, gasser. Put on the gasser.
3: Yeah, she's, gasser a, she's a boss. Uh around that time too, you were on that was when Nike was was uh kind of coming, just dropping some yeah, coins. Just in, coming in, in, in coming this coming in the heavy snowboard industry. How was it being a part of the the Nike, the Nike Wave?
1: Oh, it was good times. You're surfing the Nike Wave. So eh? good.
4: (laughs) I remember when it ended. Austin Smith texted me and was like, "Well, it was a good ride."
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's so rad. (laughs) I heard they took care of you guys, like the contest. Like you guys got put up in nice hotel or nice Airbnbs and all that, and like first class tickets.
4: Oh, it was nuts. I kind of missed the first class ticket era that was like nike snowboarding um days when i think there was like a company clause where when they flew athletes they always flew you business so i think they did one or two snowboard trips with like all of nike snowboarding and then they were like we're not doing
0: that anymore <laughs> they, they looked at the bill on <laughs> that
4: but yeah I got, I got i got a couple business class tickets for sure out of that deal and um yeah it was just like i we felt like freaking royalty like we would go to, like, X Games, and they'd have... I remember one year we had two, like, $15 million houses, like, side by side. And we had a pianist at dinner who was, like, playing us dinner music and, like, chefs and physios. And it was just, like, the whole nine yards all the time. And it was pretty wild. Um, and actually, <laughs> it was so funny. I remember um, someone posted a photo of us. I think we were at due Tour, and it was, like, all the contest kids, like... We were at this house in in a Bre- huge mansion in Breck, and someone took a photo like the whole crew like sitting in the in the, this giant living room. And um Bobby Meeks was the TM at the time uh, as well. <laughs> yeah Bobby. Yeah Bobby. Um and he was on a trip with like Austin and um like Benny and a bunch of the rail guys and they <laughs> they sent like a return one and it was like eight guys in, in like a two bedroom like motel. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like Nike contest there's versus sharing, Nike. sharing Street.
0: beds over there in the streets. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> so
4: good. It was like, wait a minute, there's some disparity here. That's, did, that's
3: you, how did,
0: it goes did you did you ever there. get the
3: Nike business card? Did they give you a business card? No. Because Justin Benny had a biz, a Nike yeah. business card with his like his stance on it. What? And we would go on snowboard trips and like a security guard would be like, You guys gotta get out here be like, wait, uh, here's my business card. I'm a professional athlete for Nike, and they'd be like, Oh, dude! Yeah, you're good. No, you guys are good. <laughs> yeah, you guys are good.
4: <laughs> no way. You get the
3: the biz card. Well, let's let's talk cheddar biscuits. Did yes. they did they have a like pretty insane um, uh, like incentive, like if for matching for contests?
4: Um, they didn't do like contest matching. I I think I missed that era of snowboarding, um, which is That's real a shame. real shame. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean they paid us so well, and yeah, I think if if I won. X Games, my bonus was like ten or fifteen grand, so it wasn't like matching, but it's like half, like mm-hmm. you know, ten grand. I think X Still at the time nice, was like twenty five nice k. Bonus. So yeah, that was yeah, it's pretty nice. If you did, if you were like really doing good at contests, like I'm sure Pay two was like cleaning up because at that time he was just like winning everything, and yeah, he he had a parking spot actually at, at he headquarters. Did. Yeah, all like the executives have like reserved spots, and they all have like an athlete name, and it was like Federer, Serena Williams. Pay to Peronian. <laughs> wow, <laughs>
3: that's sweet. And the boxes, the sneaks were nice. Probably I bet they're real nice. Jordans, yeah. everything. It,
4: it was it was a really good time. And I mean, I know a lot, lots of people weren't that down with them being in snowboarding, but it was super fun brand to ride for. And the people that worked within Nike snowboarding were so rad. Like John Weaver. I mean Brian Craig Hill. Like <laughs> yeah, Craig Hill. Too. Craig Hill. Yeah, like so many awesome people that like. Really cared about snowboarding and really made that brand um, special for the time that it was around. And the boots were freaking awesome. I'm like, actually, yeah. It took me a long time. I'm finally riding Vans now, and I, I find I finally found a pair that I like. But it took me like five years to find a pair of boots I liked after they ended.
3: Yeah, until well, once they realized there's there's really not that much money in snowboarding. Shit. Dude, they had to <laughs> know it. Sorry, Nike. They like, didn't know it going into it's pretty it. Pretty small. <laughs> It's I not. think I had
0: heard it was just more of the perception they were trying to capture, mm-hmm. you know. And originally, they weren't after the dollars until a uh, position switched. A new guy got in there, looked at the black and white, and just, we're out of here. Yeah, just yeah. super quick it, decision, split it, decision. It was
4: actually this really cool dude, uh, Sandy Bodecker. Um, he's passed away now. Rest in peace, Sandy. All
0: right,
1: Um
4: Yeah, he was an absolute legend. He's like the guy that went to Phil Knight and was like after Nike had tried to break into soccer like a few different times and to no success. Like, and, um, he went to Phil Knight and was like, yo, I, I can do soccer. Like I can take it. And he was like, all right, man, here's some cash. Like show me what you can do. And he, he did it. So after he did that, um, Phil Knight was like, man, whatever you want to do, like you have my blessing. Wow. And he was like, I want action sports. So he's the guy that like pushed them to get into skating. He did 6.0. He did Nike snowboarding, and he was just, like, this really rad dude with incredible vision. And, yeah, I think he looked at action sports not as, like, necessarily, like, we're going to make as much money as running off of these sports, but we're going to bring in, like, this entire other clientele that otherwise won't touch our brand. You know, because at that, that, I remember when Nike first started, like, no one wore Nike shoes ever. And, exactly. Never. You know, so it did. It, it created, like, did this huge perception perception change. And I think a lot of people in the industry started buying into that brand after after that, so and then you're totally right, like Sandy stepped away from that role, and a new guy came in and was like, "This doesn't make yeah. us any money. Let's get out of here.
0: What are we doing here? Chop, yeah. No more uh, first-class flights and business cards. Oh, and the gravy train ended. Yeah. Yeah. No to more Russia <laughs> just for fun. Getting serenaded by a piano while eating dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah while no you're reason. eating. I wonder what that costs on the budget line. <laughs> yeah. like, <It's> like, <laughs> What's dude, the piano should, budget? Should we have the pianist come in today, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a $1,000. Yeah, we got that. You let's know what go. we call
3: that? But, we call that burning <laughs> some let's, budget. Let's burn some budge. <laughs> let's burn some budge. <laughs> let's get some more budge burners yeah. back in the industry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we need some more buds to burn um going back to uh contests i'm always fascinated with the pre-run ritual did you did you have <laughs> did, were you there doing me. the like you know wax on wax off or <laughs>
1: yeah
4: i'm i'm one of those people for sure um i had a lot of funny uh, what's the word i'm like superstitions yeah
0: superstitions um, take us through your pre, pre-run ritual i was um, gonna say pre-roll
4: well, the night before, <laughs> before, literally before every contest final, I had a steak. Like, no matter where I was in the world, I would, like, hunt down a steak and have a steak. Um, I think, like, a trainer told me that when I was, like, really young. Like, oh, you should eat, like, lots of protein. Like, a steak would be great. And then I just, it became this weird superstition where I had to have a steak before every contest. And then the next day, um, I had, like, every season I would pick, like, my favorite two pairs of socks so I'd have a semifinal sock and a final sock. I washed them. It wasn't I think Chad Guldemon like wouldn't wash his socks for like an entire season. Really? It was super
0: weird. Old stink foot running around yeah. the hotel. Yeah, like, Athlete's oh, foot yeah. special right there. Yeah. I was like, you put Tough facts the- the- and Tanactus.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: get that guy some
1: Tanactus. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> get, get him a sponsor. So uh pre night one night before steak, a couple yeah. of socks. Couple what of socks. else you got?
4: Um and then yeah, I just like right before I would drop, I like had I think it started with like, I'd crack my neck. Like you literally watch any contest run I've ever done. I'm like doing this. And then it like started to be, there was like a clap in there. I started spitting, um, like, like right before I would drop. And eventually it got like, there were so many things that I had to do right before I dropped that I was like getting confused and not focusing on my run. So I like, I think the last couple of years I competed, I like, kind of cold turkeyed them all and was like, okay, no more. This is ridiculous.
0: You don't even remember if you got them right or not. So then you yeah. can't win basically. And also you like, if you did it.
4: I saw a couple foot, couple runs of me like spitting on camera and was like, okay, hey, that's not really a good look.
3: <laughs> also sidebar Al Michaels, who announces uh, Monday night football, has eaten a steak on every broadcast of his entire career uh, while announcing MNF. So you well, like
0: on the broadcast or before the broadcast? I we think talking?
3: sometime during, whether it's like maybe at halftime or maybe while he's announcing. He's I'm steak. not sure. T Bird is the one who told me that fact. So he can fact check that. So you and Al Michaels kind of have something yeah. going with the steak there. So that's kind of so What sweet. if
0: you're in some wild country, you can't find your steak and you're tripping, you're freaking out, the contest ruined the next day?
4: Um, it, that, it would definitely stress me out. I think it happened a couple times where I had to have like a burger or something. Like I had like, I still had like beef, but
1: it Kinda wasn't a steak. It was a steak.
0: You just had the burger patty on the plate.
4: And I actually think like the night, the Olympics were actually the hardest. Cause you're like in the weird cafeteria. Yeah. And Russia, I found one. I like left the village and had dinner with my mom. But then in Korea, we, I didn't leave the village. And I, I think I, I didn't have even beef the night before. I can't remember. Mm. But I did really bad there. So and it just
0: gets you stressed because you can't, you don't have what you need. <laughs> yeah. <in> rituals.
4: Exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was cool going through the the contests, like where you won X, that run, you put down like an incredible switchback seven. And that was a ringer. It was cool to watch. It seemed like by the time you won X, you really had like refined your, your tricks to where they were like, like a switchback seven is gnarly and dialed in. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. How was how the progression of learning those runs?
4: Uh, yeah, it was really fun. I, I was really excited. Like, that kind of, like, time, like, I guess, like, 2015 to, like, 2018, like, those few handful of years were, like, really rad. I just felt like I was, like, learning a lot. And my, my snowboarding was just kind of changing. And so it was really fun to, to start to integrate those tricks into my runs and to, change, to like, kind of adapt. Because I think sometimes when you ride contests, you can get really stuck in doing like a formula that works and like switch back five to front side seven worked for a very long time for me. And I probably could have stayed in that place, but, um, I was really glad that I like, you know, I, I started to branch out and try new tricks and it meant like I, I didn't, you know, maybe win as many contests or podium as many times, um, as I maybe could have, but that was probably like the most fun years that I had competing. Cause I was trying new stuff and changing it up and and, yeah, and it's kind of cool to be, like, a part of that progression. Um, and it's, like, just nuts to see where the women are now. And I, like, look at the runs now. I'm like, how did I ever win a contest? <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, everyone, like, all of us before are all part of that stepping stones for the, where the girls are now. And, um, yeah, it's just super cool to have been a part of it and to see where it is.
3: Yeah, I'm curious. What do you think about contests as a whole, the contest scene, where it's mm-hmm. at, the progression? Like, what's your thoughts on it?
4: The riding level is like absolutely mind blowing right now. Um, it's just, I, I find the women more exciting to watch right now, personally. I think just because the progression is going off and the tricks are still like kind of relatable. Like I can like understand them. Sometimes watching the men, I'm like, I don't know what anyone did. Like it, it, it happens. I, I would that never want to be an announcer. Like I, I can't, I can't, I have to like dissect it and like slow it down to figure out what people are even doing because they're it's so technical and they're doing so many spins. Um, but like mad, mad props to all those guys. Cause it's just, the level is so freaking high. Um, so I think like on a riding standpoint, it's like super cool to see cause it's the highest it's ever been for both men and women. But looking at the contest scene as a whole, it like kind of breaks my heart. I just think competitive, it, it was so hard for me to leave because I feel like I left competitive snowboarding in a worse place than I found it. And I think, I, and I don't think it's necessarily like the rider's fault or anything, but it's just, I just feel bad that like all, all these next generation of kids who are, you know, pushing the sport to an entire, entirely new level. All they have is FIS and then the Olympics. And, you know, when I was coming up, it was like X games due Tour, U S open European open, Australian, New Zealand open, like all these ind- independent events that were like run by snowboarders and, you know, there's what's really left now, like, due to her end X.
0: It's really boiled down, huh? And
4: X Games is for sale, I think. Is it? Like, yeah, there it was. Yeah, it was a couple a years rocky ago. It's place, I think, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's just, like, it's hard to see. And, you know, the U.S. Open's gone. And, yeah, I just, like, it's hard to, to kind of sit back and watch sometimes because you're like, man, it's, like, the sickest it's ever been. But then it's in such a precarious place right now.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so true. You
0: well, said there is a huge contest that goes down in April. Bombhole Cup. Bombhole bomb Cup, hole cup is mean,
3: actually the new it's pretty much paving, uh, Olympics, basically. The yeah. Way, yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah. Where was my invite? <laughs> yeah, yeah, True. We gotta get we gotta get <laughs> her an invite we up. Get her invite. <laughs> we actually
3: are making invite boxes that yeah. we're sending to everybody with us. We'll we'll surprise you with the one. Uh, but it's the biggest event in snowboarding. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I, I love this conversation too because first of all like watching women snowboarding has been so fun like i feel like zoe's about to go on like a 10-year run of just domination just mind-blowing and she's she's just incredible um and going back it's such an interesting thing because i think about when we were coming up we're similar age like i would watch i would watch jp walker's video part and he'd be doing like a big front cork five off a jump and maybe, uh, you know, maybe a cab nine and, and you're a kid and you're like, I think I can do that one day. Yeah. And now if you watch a backside 18, you're like, and you're like learning how to board slide a box. You're like, dude, how like I'm a, I like give me a living snowboarding and I'm like, how on God's green, fuck am i gonna do an 1800 <laughs> like it's not even i've dedicated my life to this thing and it doesn't <laughs> even seem possible so what's I th- the one they pulled the other day too there's a 2160 or something <laughs> what yeah Who? dusty somebody up
0: no oh, oh is that
3: the one on the at x they were doing 18s at, at no, uh, there was Olympics. just
0: like two days ago Oh, did, at jossie's
4: contest yeah Oh, I don't know. I actually didn't watch that. Clip. I
3: saw a very big backside
0: spin. I don't know what it was. It was like the just what you said. I 2160? Think, 2160. And I'm getting lost in the math, but yeah, exactly. See, it the, was yeah, like the I next push.
4: Yeah, I can't even, like, I, like, saw that, and I didn't even register that it was something new. Mm-hmm. Like, it just it spins so fast. And it's the guy
0: landed it. Like, it wasn't dusty. It was, uh, I think, a Chinese guy maybe, but he landed oh. it, like, no problem. And he just looks like this spins like a top. hmm
3: It's hard for that progression, though, I think, for because there's no like how are you supposed to like become a professional snowboarder if you're like i have to do a 21 you have to be a
0: superhero basically yeah
4: Yeah, i think it's yeah it's starting to tip into that territory of like extremely unrelatable and i think it's a it's a fine balance because then you get into a place where like you know ski jumping where it's like in order to keep that sport alive they have to pull athletes from other sports who like okay you're a gymnast and maybe you're not quite good enough to go to the olympics do you want to be a ski jumper You could maybe win a medal. They're like, okay, that's what they do. Oh yeah, fully. Like,
3: I didn't know that. And even yeah,
4: and like, I think we're really hovering on that line right now of like, this is going to become so specialized if we don't like switch up the formula of it that it could definitely go into that place. And I mean, even pipe like pipe is becoming so hard to ride. Like, there's no half pipes anymore you know, and, and it's kind of going down that road as well of being, like, extremely specialized and, like, you have to be groomed from a young age to, like, become a half-pipe rider. Um, it's so it's You like,
0: dedicate your whole life to it, huh, basically, to be at the top.
4: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just becoming another Olympic sport, basically. <laughs> like, that's how yeah. so many of those, like, bobsledding, like, bobsledding is all athletes, they're pulled from other sports. And, you know, it's like, I couldn't be like, hey, I want to grow up and be a bobsledder one day. I'd be told that I'm, like, not the right body type. You know, it's like very
1: particular. Yeah.
4: So it's just interesting to see and kind of heartbreaking at the same time. And I wish we could like dial it back a bit and like have style be more important and creativity. And it's just like, that's what's so cool about snowboarding is you can do these crazy tricks, but you can do them with your own style and it's going to be totally different than someone else's. And I think we're just kind of missing that in competitive snowboarding a little bit.
3: Couldn't say it better myself. Uh, Now I'm curious too, because there's now you have a lot of people that train on a dry slope into an airbag all summer and then airbag in the winter. Did you grow up chucking into airbag?
4: Uh, no, I never, I've never ridden one of those, the new ones. Um, and that is like a big key, I think, to why we're seeing like the trick level just go like absolutely mental. Um, uh, now that I'm done competing, I kind of want to (laughs) try (laughs) one, but I was like super like, no, never doing one of those when I was ri- when I was still competing. <laughs> um but I did hit one of like the big flat ones like I feel like I don't know like 15 years ago, 10 years ago the they big had flat those flat airbags, yeah. a bag jump or something. Yeah, and they were like they're they always super kicky like step up takeoffs almost and then you'd like I don't they actually just really hurt. They kind of sucked those things. <laughs> I, think I hit one a handful of times and was like, I don't look, I'm going to get hurt riding this thing.
3: Now now I have a theory going back to what you were talking about <laughs> earlier how you know snowboarding is this very stylish thing. And we're missing the point with the 2160s, and we're getting into dangerous territory and, and all that stuff. And, and everybody says, well, you can't, you can't put a limit on rotations or you can't put parameters around it because that stunts progression. But what you can do my theory that, um, you know, and I don't know enough about this world to say, but I'll just come in and give my advice. Cause I think that this could solve some problems, but take one jump on the course Maybe it's not the 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 bottom jump, but maybe it's like one of the small, uh, smaller setup jump, and maybe it's a fifty foot jump or sixty foot instead of a eighty or whatever. But it can even be a big jump, and you just simply on this jump, style is awarded higher. Like we are going to, we are gonna, we are gonna score style higher than difficulty because it's all of it's based on difficulty, which is like essentially rotations and then a little bit of style underneath it's like styles well why not just put style on the forefront of one of the jumps and then difficulty underneath seems like a problem solver to me dude that would be awesome just the style i always we thought that for,
4: for big air it would be cool to like have one jump like maybe i think right now they do like whatever your two best jumps yeah, two and best you have to spin different directions um but then you do a third jump that like rotation actually and difficult and technical difficulty, like actually don't even have a place in the score. It's literally like whatever you think is your best looking trick on a snowboard. do that. You know, like I remember there was one X games where Mikel did like this transfer. He actually hit like the border cross take, or maybe he took hit. I can't remember. He transferred either from like the border cross takeoff to the big air landing from the big air takeoff to the border cross landing. I can't remember which way Mikel bang. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, he yeah. um he did like the sickest back rodeo five and got like two points. Because
0: they didn't like, they didn't understand. They were like, well, they, you messed up.
4: they were just like, it's big air. You're supposed to do a bunch of spins. Like yeah. he just like like it was like the most like aggressive like sign from the judges. Like this is not what we want to see. And I was like there should be a place for something like that like that was like one of my like i don't remember what anyone else did that
0: contest but i remember you what remember Calc- that yeah yeah and you always will
4: yeah and I, I, I think there's like a play i just think the contest maybe need because everyone is so freaking good night right now and everyone can do all the tricks they can hit every they can just do everything so that the format i think needs to be changed and i think the way yeah the judging and like the actual like slope style big air formats need to shift to like accommodate how talented everyone is now
3: a hundred percent. Couldn't say it better myself. And it's and we're gonna lose people. We're like aerial yes. skiing. We're gonna lose our audience because I, you know, if if all all three of us can watch a spin and not know what it is, and we've dedicated our life to snowboarding, that's messed up. We're getting into we're getting into dangerous territory. It's like anybody can watch a switchback five method like tour gear and be like, you know, a, a person from freaking Kansas that lives in a cornfield can <laughs> flick the TV on and be like wow, that, that was cool that was looking. Cool. <laughs> you know, it's like a uh, best whip and moto. I like it. Too. Yeah. It's like people like that better than the like crazy freestyle stuff. But
4: well, I think that's why you see everyone so stoked on natural selection too. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. at that first event in Jackson was so, I'm actually kind of I'm sad. I wasn't there, but also stoked. I wasn't cause it was so fun to be a spectator for those couple days. Like just to see how excited people were to watch a snowboard contest was like, this is awesome. And, and yeah, everyone was so invested in it and it was relatable. Like people understand how difficult it is, but then, you know, the way that it was being written was still relatable to people and it was fresh and it was new. And I just think they really opened a door to show like where competitive snowboarding can go and like the kind of like viewership it can get and the excitement that the industry can have for it.
3: All right. We're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about 686. 686. Uh, cool brand
0: right here 30 years deep my good friend mike west started this brand in 1992 i've watched it grow from its inception to where it is today and it's been an incredible journey still see the tech features and the outerwear that i helped develop back in the day as a team rider in myself. 1804 or in, what was that? it was actually 1756 oh, okay perfect blotto and i helped develop some of these features that we still see in the product today cool thing about the brand is the people that mike rests around himself with people like myself and blotto forrest bailey rides for the brand pat mccarthy my good friend george Kavala, juggernaut from the east coast it's just an incredible brand with good people the cool thing about 686 is they're expanding the line to a new category with streetwear or maybe better called activewear, or in my case, loungewear, because I'll be wearing that on the couch from the sidelines watching you guys get active. The cool thing about this product is it's very technical. DWR. It is uh, meant for hiking, mountain biking, maybe parkour if that's what you're into. It's uh, a great brand. Good people. Six eight six. Give it a shot.
3: All right, we're going to talk about the style experience, Stony buds. Let's get into it. Canada snowboard is revolutionizing the big air game
0: with their newest event, the style experience with an integrated style contest component.
3: This is the perfect combination of progressive and timeless tricks. Yep. That one is going to keep the revs high buds. Watch the best snowboarders in the world. Chuck carcass at the largest big air contest Canada has ever seen in the winter stronghold of Edmonton, Alberta, It's going down in the Commonwealth Stadium, boasting VIP suite options, private bars, heated tents, a vendor village, and more. Fire this one up on the evening of December 10th. Again, December 10th, Canada. Get to Edmonton for the style experience. The style experience is made possible through the partnership between Canada
0: Snowboard and Explore Edmonton presented by Toyota. Get on your most stylish winter gear and secure a spot at the winter event of the year on Ticketmaster.
3: The style experience. That's pretty cool uh, talking about. We were literally talking about how we need to put more style in in contests. So check that contest out. Um, going back to contests, though, I was just thinking about this. You wrote for Nike. You got all these sponsors you're, you're doing X games, Olympics. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. How did you deal with the pressure and did the brands put more pressure on you or did you put more pressure on yourself?
4: Yeah, I think I put more pressure on myself. Um, sometimes I probably like frame it in my mind that it was like pressure from my sponsors or, you know, external, but I think for the most part, it was like my own expectations and my own, um kind of yeah going back to like self-talk again um but yeah the olympics were a weird one I feel like I was like pretty ready mentally for that and then I had like some health stuff come up before and yeah just it yeah kind of everything went out the window but yeah the that I mean the olympics are kind of just another beast altogether they're a lot more media scrutiny and just all this stuff you don't normally have to think about because it's you're never never get asked it and then all of a sudden it's like like my heritage was a huge one going into um Sochi all of a sudden everyone was like you're Canada's indigenous athlete and I was like why does that matter like I had never been like identified as that before As like it was always about my snowboarding and it was always about you know um just what I did on my snowboard and then all of a sudden that was like all anyone wanted to ask me about and I was like Oh, I don't know the answers to any of these questions, and like, can we talk about my snowboarding, please?
0: They give Killer. you any media training for that, or you just they just threw you to the wolves?
4: Uh, I never did any like traditional media training. Um, probably should have, um, especially just I guess just for the Olympics alone would have been probably nice. But um, yeah, I never never did like a class or I don't you know, get the a Lu- class? the
3: Louis Vito masterclass yeah, of how, Louis Louis Vito master how to, Vito how yeah. to dodge <laughs> questions because he he put on a clinic here at the. <laughs> We would ask him a question. And we didn't even his answer. We weren't sure what happened. He yeah, was, nobody. Knew he's what got. A, he should do a master class on media. Dude, training. We should
0: almost hire him and have our own class, right? Media training for these these athletes. The
4: Bombhole masterclass. Yeah. Yeah. Bomb Louis, master Louis Vito with Louis Vito. Get
0: you guys in there, and it'll be amazing.
4: I mean, I'm pretty good at that too. If there's something I don't want to talk about, I'm I'm decent at deflecting. It's but deflection. Whoop. It's all yeah. about
3: deflection, yeah. right? Well, let's talk about Olympics because there's there's kind of two factors there. I think the first the first thing I want to talk about maybe is the kind of the fact that the the first Olympics I believe was the one that was crazy windy. That was complete oh, fucking they, bullshit. They made the girls that, go. That, yeah. that that was a fucking joke for joke. for for snowboarding in general. I remember watching that and just it's like looked like it was like 60 miles an hour wind and they send you guys down the course and everybody's bouncing off the knuckles and it was just like it made snowboarding look like it was just a bad look to just host the event you were a part of that how was the experience for you in in uh the you know the world stage you've done all this work and all of a sudden it's they send you down 60 mile an hour wind course oh
4: yeah that that was the 2018 games in Pyeongchang Mm -hmm. and that one was like a heartbreaker. Um I was like definitely less of a contender at those games, I would say. Um I was kinda having like a rough like year mentally going into those. Um and then I actually blew my knee at X Games ten days before. Um, so I was like, "Whoa, I don't know what I'm doing here. Why am I even snowboarding? Like I'm so hurt, I should just go home. <laughs> but uh I wanted to see that through and and then to like and I think like that was a really cool year for women snowboarding too because there was still like a lot of like my generation was still riding um but then also there was like you know it was like Anna and um like it was like Tess Cody was there and like there was like all like the young girls that were like kind of coming up and that was like I think a really big like pivotal year for women snowboarding so I think those games could have been so cool because there was so many new tricks happening and I don't know. I was just like, I, f- I felt like we were all robbed of that. And you know, you work so hard for four years and people put so much pressure on this one contest. And, and then that happens. And it's like, seriously, is this, is this how much we're worth to, to this organization? Like, why do we all care so much about it? If this is the way that we were treated. And the hardest thing about that day was they never talked to us. Like we never had a riders meeting. They were never like, they just kept postponing it um and it was super gnarly like i've ridden in some really messed up conditions but that was like really sketchy i didn't even make it through the course in practice because either someone was decking in front of me and i'd have to pull out of the jump or i was decking and like couldn't hit the next one or whatever it was just like it was really really sketchy and um super super dangerous i think they're actually lucky that no one got like seriously seriously injured um there's a couple blown knees and uh, I think, like, a couple big bales, but, like, no one, you know, got, no one got carted off to the hospital, really, um, besides Tess, She blew her knee. Nah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just, like, I kept kind of waiting for them to, like, ha- like get everyone together and have a meeting and talk about what the options were. And um, they told us they were running practice and we were going to see. And then I was, like, God, I remember finishing practice and being like, this is nuts. Like, there's no way we can do this. And but when I got to the top, they had already started running people, and I, from all my years competing, I know like if if they're running people and they're scoring runs, like it's over, like this contest is happening. So I kind of went into a place of like, I'm just going to see this through and hope that it worked. You know, like hope that I win Russian roulette, and you know maybe I land a run or get no wind. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was honestly like, yeah, probably the worst experience I've ever had in my career was having to watch all those girls fall. And and yeah, just think about like, how does this make our sport look and how are we being perceived right now? Because everyone, I just knew that group of girls so well and I knew how hard everyone worked to be there. And how hard we had worked to, as a group to, like, get women snowboarding to where it was at that time. And, yeah, it really just, like, felt like we were robbed of that. Um, and then to come out on the other side of that day and find out that, like, ski racing had been canceled and biathlon had been canceled. I was like, really? Like, it's okay for us to jump off, like, 70-foot jumps in, like, 100-mile-an-hour winds, but you're going to cancel biathlon?
0: How come they can cancel those but not the snowboarding cuz I thought it was like advertising commercials lined up and slots and all that and that had something to do with it.
4: Uh, yeah, I but guess. But
0: yet they could cancel those.
4: I don't know if it's just that like those sports have better um like organizing bodies. Is
0: um, Fist
3: is responsible for Olympics, right?
0: Yeah, the so ones make the call. So, so yeah. nobody got in there and just demanded this isn't safe. Let's let's call it.
4: Yeah, and and basically like when it we were it was awesome to like kind of come out like the next like see all like the media coming out the next day and like see that people weren't just like hosing women snowboarding that you know they were like this is kind of like bullshit and you know who's responsible for this it, it it was really not about the riding or the riders which was a big relief for me and I think a lot of the girls um but then fist came out and just said like well no one forced them to go and it's like, yeah, but our only option was to pull out of the Olympics. Like,
0: what? Yeah. And <laughs> everyone works yeah. so hard. Yeah. And they tell you to get up there. Your run's going on. It's like. Yeah, here's
3: a question I have for you. Would crazy. they have sent the men?
4: Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, the boys rode in pretty windy conditions, too, the day before, which was the day we got canceled because we were supposed to ride after them. And it's insane because they should have sent us that day. It was so much better.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but I don't know. I feel like maybe they would have tried to run the men, but I don't think the men would have agreed to so, have gone. So
3: again, this this whole debacle comes back to that dog shit organization we call FIS. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so like It's like, I mean, granted, who knows? Maybe they learned from it. And, and I know, and granted, I, from what I hear, there are some people over there that are that are good people that are trying, but... At the end of the day it's it's a skiing federation
4: well yeah that's what like you know that's what really gets me is i'm like we're never they're never going to put snowboarding above skiing we're never going to be their priority we're always going to be at the bottom yeah and like why can't we just have something that runs our sport because yeah there are good people who are snowboarders that work within fist snowboarding but they don't it's like we're always going to be down here and they're never going to do anything to elevate our sport. So why are we all going along with it? And that's the hardest thing is because this generation now that's, that's competing, that's all they know. They never got to have like competed the events that I did and, you know, and, and see what it could be, like how close TTR was to creating something really special. Um, you know, and, um, yeah, it just, it's, it's like heartbreaking. Cause I'm like, they don't know any better as riders so like they don't know what to fight for
0: Mm -hmm. you know all i remember is this and this being an issue it's crazy that nothing's happened yet
4: yeah it's 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 crazy it's like a and it's a it's hard because i think we as a sport and as like a society we put the olympics on this crazy pedestal so even i think that was the downfall of ttr was they wanted the olympic qualifier and i was like you guys got to get yourself solidified and insulated as like this really badass snowboarding tour and once you have that and you have that foothold, then take over the qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Well, but the they tried to do too much too soon, I think, and it, it didn't work we
1: out. We also,
3: like, you know, if you look at other sports, there's the the players have their own federations where there's a union amongst players. So you know, and, and, an and Athlete and will just create... Really, like, if, if... And I know Chaz Goulderman tried to do this, and we're, we are just kind of yelling into the void because I'm not going to probably do anything about it, but just say... <laughs> I don't know, know anything but, about it. But really, like, if you were to take... If you were to take all the snowboarders, you were to take Mark Mick and Anna Gasser and Jamie and all the names that draw the, the crowds, the, the people show up to see the the top five, ten marquee pros mm-hmm. in both men's and women's snowboarding, that's that's who that's who pays the bills. If you were to have some type of union and they were to say, Hey, we're we're just not gonna do fist, well, then your your event falls apart, you know? I mean obviously it's more complicated than that, but
4: Yeah, I think I mean, yeah, we're missing that component as well. It's like, it's all divided into nations and, you know, not, then you also on top of it all, you have federations and I don't know. It's, it, it's really, really complex and there's not like a straightforward answer to how to fix it, but it's just, it's just a bummer. I think, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm biased. I, I snowboard and, but I just like love snowboarding and I would love if there was a way... To even just stream snowboard events, like mm-hmm. seriously, you can't even watch any of these freaking events that are like in the Czech Republic and random ass places. Like, they don't even have like st- like a one platform where you can go to like fist com and mm-hmm. watch contests. Like, these people are ancient. They gotta go. And the <laughs> other sports,
0: the other sports seem to have that, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean. And and like surfing, we love. We love
3: like we're we're a media company. We love talking about surfing. We'd love to cover the contest. We'd Mm -hmm. love to talk about the contest. Like we'd love to speculate. All right, who's gonna win the tour this year? Like who's gonna who's like WSL and surfing? Like who you know? There's all this media around it, and it's like I'd love to follow the contest scene, and and be invested in it. But you can't fucking watch it. You can't. There's nowhere
0: to. Even when it's up, it's like some is over here, maybe in the UK. Some is on this website and.
4: Yeah, you got to be like have like 8 VPNs and be like super tech savvy to find like one contest for the snowboard world. <laughs> it's
0: it's it's a shame that somebody doesn't pull together, but I guess who who does that? Somebody's yeah. got to be the champion.
4: Yeah, I don't I don't think it's Chris, awesome. Chris you
3: down? <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah, I'm down to I mean, I'm down to tell Fist how I feel about him. That's for sure. <laughs> so, going going back to the so the second Olympics is the one where you basically is that when your arthritis started kicking up? Do you want to talk about uh, yeah, the so the other way way around. flip.
4: Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So 2014, um, before those games, was when I was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and that, yeah, that was kind of crazy because I was riding super, like, those were probably, like, I guess, my heydays, if you want to say it, like, <laughs> when I was doing really, really well in contests. And I was definitely like, kind of me and Jamie were just like exchanging blows, basically, like swapping every other contest. And, um, uh yeah i was world champion going into those olympics and kind of like the year before during the qualifying year i just started to have like a lot of like random joint injuries um and was just in like a lot of pain in general and i for some reason i was 24 and i chalked it up to being getting old (laughs) which is like crazy to think about now 24 (laughs) (laughs) But uh, spring chicken yeah i know i was a little baby yeah but um yeah, I just, I don't know, maybe that's just how your body feels after doing, you know, after snowboarding you for so many in. years. And yeah, it just kind of, it like slowly got worse and worse. Um, and I ended up needing wrist surgery. So we're like, okay, like I'm going to finish the season. I qualified for the Olympics. Everything was all good. And then it's like, I'm going to do this wrist surgery and I'm just going to train super hard. And I'm going to be like, this, you know, like the most in shape and healthy going into the games that I can be. And those like six, seven months were just like, disastrous like I couldn't put on muscle I couldn't like I just kept getting more joint injuries like I literally had like bursitis and atrophy in both my shoulders I had the wrist thing so I had the surgery for that I had a baker's cyst in my knee I had capsulitis in my toes I got a ganglion cyst in my wrist like it just like it was one thing after another and I was like these aren't even injuries like what's wrong with me like there's something up And they did a bunch of tests, but nothing, everything kind of came back clean. So I just kind of kept chugging along and uh, ended up getting like a pretty bad, like pretty deep depression just because I was in so much pain. I couldn't sleep. Um, And at the very height of it, um, I um, had such bad morning stiffness that like I couldn't, it would take me like 20 minutes to get out of my bed. Like I'd have to like hype myself up, I like wake up and be like, oh no, oh no. Like, okay, you can, you can sit up, like you can do it. Like I, w- it was such a bizarre thing to look back on and to be like, how was I not like screaming that from the rooftops? Like somebody help me. I can't get out of bed. I'm 24 and I can't walk down a set of stairs or like hold a coffee mug above my head. Um, but yeah, I was in just like a pretty dark place and was really scared that I wasn't going to be able to go to the Olympics. And I was, then it even went to the point where I was like, am I ever even going to be able to snowboard again? Like, um, but yeah, once I got diagnosed, um, that was a pretty big relief because I got put on the right medication and I started, you know, to feel a lot better. And, um, but it was still kind of nuts. Like I went to do tour just to watch, like I, I couldn't compete yet. Cause I just, I got diagnosed two months before the Olympics um, so I got cleared to go back on snow and, um, I was there and I don't know there's like lots of crazy rumors. Like I remember people like after the afterwards were like, yeah, we like all thought you had cancer or something. Like no one knew what was wrong with you and everything was like super shady and like you were like super evasive and cause I didn't want to talk, talk about it. I didn't want to tell anyone what was wrong with me. I just like, was kind of trying to like put the blinders on and go to work and, and get to those games. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty intense situation. But now I'm, uh, like I'm not better. I still have it. I live with it, and I'll have it for my whole life. But um, I'm on medication that like really manages my symptoms, and I'm able to to shred and pretty much do everything that I like to do, which is nice.
0: Isn't that normally something that um you get as you're older? Rheumatoid arthritis.
4: That was like the first thing I said. I was like, this is an old person
0: disease. <laughs> yeah, because you know you will see an old person, and it takes them 20 minutes to get out of bed yeah so is that just a fallacy that's not not something that's true or is your case rare
4: um no there that's it's totally true like it it does commonly present in older people and um but there's uh, over 130 different types of arthritis um which i didn't know um before i got it i didn't know that um rheumatoid arthritis is one of the more severe types um and it affects your body bilaterally so like each side equally but, you know, even, like, how, like, if you blow your knee, like, a few years down the line, you can get, like, arthritis in your knee. Mm-hmm. Or, like, people get tennis elbow, and then they get arthritis in their elbow. Like, those are all different types, and there's a ton of different kinds. Um, but, yeah, the, the one I have is, like, a genetic. It's, like, not caused by overuse. It's a yep. genetic mm. a genetic uh, uh, autoimmune disorder.
3: So that Olympics you were building up for, was that the one that you were the favorite? Was that Sochi? Yeah, Sochi. So yeah. Sochi you really had a good chance to to do really well, correct?
4: Yeah, and it was kind of, that was a kind of a crazy one too because I went through so much to get there. Like those 7 months were like so so gnarly and you know, I I had like such a rush to come back to competition and such a short amount of time to like figure out how to deal with this illness and then how to like like get back into competitive form and and go to my first Olympics. And I remember I did X games right before, then I got third. And I was like, oh man, like, no, maybe I still have a chance at this. Like, I think I'm good. Like, I think I can do it. And I was actually feeling like pretty good on my board. And that whole event, I felt pretty good. I, I like, it was like such a weird thing to just like have an off day after all of that. Like so much build up and so much like, just went through so much to get there that I think I really expected the fairy tale ending. You know, I expected to get a medal and just be like, yeah, like I went through all of that so this could happen. Um, and that just like, wasn't the reality. I like literally just sat down. I like under-rotated a back seven twice and just like, it was just so anticlimactic.
0: <laughs> was it just your mental wasn't right or?
4: No, and like, that's the thing. Like you any,
0: were feeling good.
1: I <laughs> felt,
4: I felt good. And like any other contest, I, you, you brush that off and you go, no, no, you're still riding great. Like next one but then it happened at the Olympics. So it was like,
3: ugh. it's not your day. Like,
4: No. Okay. Wait four years. And
3: well, talking to Leanne, she basically said that, cause I was kind of, we were talking about the highs and lows of competition and how gnarly that is and how that's basically on steroids with the Olympics because it's like the, the really the, the North star for like ultimate achievement in snowboarding. Um, she basically said that, you know, w- when asked about it, like eight, eight months later, you'd still get like emotional. Like it was, it was a tough blow.
4: Yeah. I mean, I put a lot of pressure on that. Um, you know, I, I think where I was in my career and then, and, and I think always like kind of wanting to do that as a kid. Like I wanted to go to the Olympics for pipe when I was a little kid, you know, and I nice. remember watching Kelly Clark in the Olympics and being like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, that dream kind of faded for me because I I just loved slope style and that's what I, what I, where my heart was really at. Um, but when we got that opportunity, it just like, it felt really serendipitous and like, you know, it just felt like things were lining up. So when everything kind of went sideways and it didn't happen, it it was hard. It it felt like a loss. Mm -hmm. Like I, I I took that really hard and it, Mm -hmm. and I think just like coupled with like everything that I went through, it was. It was just, like, a lot all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think now that I've, like, gotten older and just, like, having gone to Korea or, um, yeah, and I actually even got asked that in Korea, like, after the event. I remember, like, a media outlet was, like, you were so upset. And so, like, I cried, like, aggressively on national television. It was super embarrassing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what are you going to do,
1: you know? (laughs) Respect.
4: Not a good look. Um, But, uh. Yeah, so like the, the in Korea they were like, "Well, you like just seem so not upset this time, and you actually did worse." Jeez. <laughs> it like, totally back, <laughs> so backhanded. But I I remember just being like, "Yeah, well, this isn't my fault. Like, this is a joke." And if, and I think I don't know, just going to those games and just like it just really shifted a lot of things for me with what a pedestal I had put the Olympics on, and. And then that, that was kind of backwards because the Olympics isn't snowboarding. And it's it's a really cool thing, I think, that all athletes get to do. And it's special to represent your country. But that's not why we snowboard. And it's definitely not why I snowboard. So yeah. I think that was like a nice like shift for me to have yeah. being like, I don't, you know, I'm grateful to have gotten to go and I'm grateful to have experienced it. But it doesn't like define me. And yeah.
3: It's been, it's, you know, the thing that I do think is good in the sense of like some of the, in the way history has been is like, luckily a lot of the people that have won the Olympics in the past few years and slope, you know, you have Jamie and, and Zoe and, and Sage and red and stuff like they've gone on to go to like Jimmy Fallon and they just make snowboarding look so cool, which has been awesome. That's one of the benefits of it. But then again, you, you throw a contest on a windy day and and all these, these poor women are bouncing off the knuckles and you, you know, that's just, it's fucking disrespectful to the sport, you know? So, um, yeah. And
4: I, and I think, I mean, I like, I called that out in that letter I wrote for like, or like I did an article for like the player's tribune after all that. And it's like that riding in like crappy conditions is like being a theme in snowboarding for a long time. Like we don't have weather days. I mean, even natural selection. Jack, like it was like pretty crappy conditions and we, we still rode, you know, like it's just kind of part of the game when you do a winter sport, like it's really hard to have optimal conditions all the time. And, um, but yeah, I think the, the big thing with, with the, with that Olympics experience was like that the athletes weren't consulted about it. It wasn't our choice to ride in those. We weren't even given that option.
0: No, well, there was no like sit down, let's have a powwow. How do you feel about this?
4: Yeah, no, like usually, like, I mean... report to the top. Yeah, it's like happened to like at X before where it's like super sketchy and people can't clear the jumps and they go, well, what do you guys want to do? And usually your option is if you don't go, you're just not going. And there's just like not going to be a contest today. Oh, really? Yeah, that's like oftentimes that's the choice, which sucks.
0: That's... But with TV everyone time... Everyone works
4: so hard. Yeah, with TV time and everything though, they, they don't have a lot of options. Usually yeah. their hands are tied. But at least we're given that choice. And on that day, we weren't given a choice. Yeah,
0: it's your choice. At least you can all decide together. And
4: yeah, yeah, you can pull the women. And if, yeah. if everyone wants to send it and, and risk it, then great. Like, let's go. But I just, it really bothered me that we weren't even consulted on our own safety.
3: Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Autumn headwear. Now, I'm currently wearing the Autumn Bombhole Collaboration Beanie. This thing kicks ass because it's designed by their founder, Brad Allband. He's one of the best designers in the industry. And his whole shtick, their whole shtick, is that style and creativity matter. You see that in the fits. You see that in the design. You see that in the team of who they select to be on their team. They got Jill Perkins. They got Sam Taxwood, Danimals. All stylish characters. And their whole shtick is that they want beanies to have specific fits. So if you want to go sky high resi, they got a fit for you. If you want to go sailor gym, rolled up above the ears, they got a fit for you. So again, beanies are a strong form of expression and style matters. So if you're thinking about picking up a great beanie, head on over to autumnheadwear.com. We got a little promo code for you. Use promo code bombhole for 20% off and get that dome piece looking right. Again, bombhole 20% off, autumnheadwear.com. All right, we have a guest question from none other than Leanne Pelosi. Here we go. Hi Spencer,
4: it's Leanne here. I have admired your career ever since you were a Grom. Uh, I've
0: been able to watch you flourish as a professional snowboarder onto the, onto the Olympics, the X Games, uh, you name it. You are a legend in all of our snowboarders' eyes, and you continue to dominate in the backcountry. I think
1: it would be awesome for you to explain how that transition from the contest scene to the backcountry has been uh, to the listeners. And
0: I just want to give you a shout out. I think you're the best. I I treat you like you're my younger sister, but you are such a boss. And yeah, hope to ride with you this winter.
4: Oh, what a legend! Yeah. Mad, mad shout out to Leanne. I mean, I got to do a guest question for her, her, um, bomb hole too. So very fitting. Um, and yeah, she's been like a massive mentor to me and like, we're just, she's like one of my best friends, like love, love her and Jeff to death and, um, have been just so grateful for her guidance. Um, yeah, like literally from the time I was like 16, like I remember I lived with them when I was like 18 to like 20 they just like had this little grom with them like making her kitchen and bathroom all dirty (laughs) (laughs) Not, not knowing how to clean up after myself that's pretty cool um but uh yeah no um you know i making that switch from competition to backcountry was always something i wanted to do it was you know i i filmed for mischief when i was like 17 18 um for runway when i was 19 and I just kind of made that call to like focus on contests and I, n- I never expected my competitive career to be as long as it was. Um, I always thought I would have made that shift earlier, but there just like kept being things that I, I wanted to accomplish. So I kind of kept down that road. Um, but yeah, I, I blew my knee in 2018 and then I came back for three months and I, I did do tour and X games again one, one last time. And, and then I, my graph failed and I blew my knee again. Um, and then yeah, it was just like a really hard couple of years with injuries, and I, I lost a couple sponsors, and um, I kind of got the, I I just like got to this point with, um, with snowboarding where like I had been reaching out to a lot of brands for a lot of years, like after Nike ended, and I was just like not having any luck, um, finding support, um, and I got to the point, and then I was like injured for a couple of years, and I was just like was like man, like it feels like snowboarding just like doesn't want me anymore, like. I felt like a, like a neglected child or something. It's
0: a horrible feeling.
4: Which, yeah, but it's also like, uh, uh, it's like on the flip side of that, it's like snowboarding doesn't owe me anything. Like it's given me so much and I'm so grateful to being able to live this life for as long as I have. And, um, you know, but I definitely had that mentality a little bit of like, like I've been doing so well for so long. Like I deserve this. I deserve that. Like, why don't people want me? Like what, you know, I, I felt like I was owed something, I think. Um, but, um when I got the, and I, and I, I literally got to the point where I was like, am I just like ignoring the signs? Like, should I just retire? Like am I, you know, I, I didn't really want to come back to competing again. Um, but like, I didn't really know how to make that shift into backcountry And especially without support, I was like, yeah I was just kind of like I don't know what to do and I actually got a job interview with Red Bull for the TM position in Canada and I was like hey like maybe this is a sign like maybe I'm supposed to move on and do something else with my life so I went through that whole process that interview process and made it to the last round and um at the same time we were trying to get precious leader woman off the ground and but we were sitting having like the hardest time finding funding like it just kind of wasn't happening my my um director Cassie DeCalling was working super hard and we had a meeting and I was like I applied for a job and I like might be moving to Toronto and I I don't know like maybe we should like just can the film like it doesn't seem like it's going to happen and she's like no okay like yeah we'll just see what happens with with TELUS and if that goes then great and you know we'll just deal with it even if you get that job, we can still do it. And I was like, all right, well, let's just see what happens. And a couple of days later I got the call from Red Bull that I didn't get that job. Um, and then literally a few days after that, we got greenlit by TELUS and I was like, Whoa, okay. This is like, this, this feels like the sign. Like, um, I'm supposed to do this movie and I'm supposed to give it everything I got. So, um, right around that time, I also lost rockstar, so then I was like legit out of sponsors <laughs> I was like okay well we're gonna do it and um yeah I just kind of i I look at it as like I invested in myself and filming a part was always something that I wanted to do and I knew that if I left snowboarding not trying I would always regret that um so yeah like two I guess I was two winters ago now I went into that winter like with fully nothing to lose and just was like, this, this is for me. Like if this turns into prolonging my career and allowing me to do this, you know, for longer than Epic. And if not, I get to like have this amazing little piece of my career to like share with my kids one day. And I'm going to have a, have gotten to ride backcountry with Leanne and Marie and Robin and all these incredible people. Um, so yeah, I just, Ended and it worked out and I'm with our Ar- Arterics now, which has been incredible. And you know, crew was supporting me and um, you know, wool But um yeah, I'm on Jiro now too. And yeah. Really uh happy with how that happened and just also super grateful to like Leanne, Robin, Marie, Jeff, um Jeff Brown, Ryan Kenny, like Leo Horn, like so many people that like helped me in the backcountry that first year because like it's so hard to film. It's like so much goes into it. And then I was learning how to snowmobile on top of that. And you're just like such a junk show out there. Like it totally takes a village. So I'm grateful to everyone that dug me out and dragged my ass up the hill. <laughs> a bit
3: of a different world from showing up to a slope style uh, contest, like, you know, packing your backcountry pack and learning how to snowmobile, finding the train you're going to ride. Yeah.
0: Can I ask a quick Patreon question? Yeah, yeah, hit question. a Patreon, buds. From Nick uh, Financiero, he says, what was it like going from a fully sponsored contest circuit rider to going full-time backcountry with an entirely new group and new sponsors?
4: Um, yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for your question. Um, yeah, I feel like I kind of answered a little bit of that um, through Leanne's. Um, but it's yeah, it's just been really awesome to be in the backcountry and I don't know, I feel like snowboarding's new again, which is so cool after, like, doing it for 20 years. And you're like a
0: kid kid again, huh? Like yeah. Like, fresh eyes on everything. Totally.
4: Like, it's... I think that's, like, one of the best things about snowboarding, that, like, you can do something for 20 years and you just change the way you're doing it a little bit and it's brand new again. And, yeah, I've just been learning so, so much. And um, I'm just so grateful to have found support to be able to keep on that journey and to keep learning because yeah, this year I got to go to Alaska for the first time. And like, now that's this whole other like can of worms. And I'm just like, I don't know. It just feels really fun to be a Grom again.
3: <laughs> that's cool. You know, a lot of guests we've had that sat in that chair that have had long careers, that there's almost a theme of the ones that have had great long careers is that they've learned how to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. And in reinventing themselves and like almost refinding their authenticity, It's it's really funny to think where you're like, well, I got no sponsors. I'm just going to do this thing that's authentic to me and I'm going to do what I want to do. And all of a sudden, the sponsors follow that. And mm-hmm. I, I love that. It's like it, it you can't reverse engineer it. Like, I need to be sponsored. It's more like when when you're true to yourself, the sponsors seem to come from what I've noticed.
4: Yeah, no, I would agree with that 100%. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm grateful it kind of happened the way it did because it, it made me, it like, fully checked like i made me check myself you know and check my freaking privilege and being like i deserve this um but uh it and it also yeah just gave me a fresh perspective on snowboarding again and um yeah i'm just i'm grateful for that i'm grateful to get to do this all the time
3: love it well now that we're talking videos and uh video parts let's test uh you know what buds? oh no name that video part Name that video part is presented by the Icon Pass. Now, Stony Buds, our season of fun is fast approaching. From east coast to west, across Canada, the European
0: Alps to Japan and beyond, the language barrier has just been broken. To turn up the fun factor, the Icon Pass welcomes three new legendary destinations to its family of mountains. This season, get ready to explore Chamonix in France. The Sun Valley in Idaho, and of course, Snow Basin
3: right in our backyard, Chris. Additionally, new pass options have been added to the mix, starting at only $269 adult. The Icon Pass Session 2-day and Icon Pass Session 3-day offer a range of affordable entry points. It's time to bring the stoke and get ready to let the joy out. Head on over to IconPass.com and pick yours up today. All right, Spencer, uh, how are you feeling <laughs> confidence level 0 through 10?
4: I'm like a negative five. Negative five. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not feeling very good. I'm stressed. You, yeah.
0: didn't,
3: you didn't spend your youth watching
0: video after video after video.
3: I, I did, but I, I don't know. I don't feel good. <laughs> the best part about this whole thing is, I call Spencer. I'm kind of giving her the pre-run showdown. I'm like kind of telling her the deal how we do the show, and I'm like, "Well, you have any questions, like, for me?" And she's like, "Uh, yeah. How do you pick the song for naming <laughs> that video?" <laughs> <laughs> like, the I'll biggest learn. concern. I go, the, the most nerve-wracking <laughs> part of the show.
4: Like, seriously, I like wasn't not really wasn't very nervous to come on. I was just nervous for this part.
3: <laughs> well, I'll say this though. You got a contest background, so Yeah,
0: you she know, gets a yeah. little bit of a pass. You get a little bit of a pass. I do like your uh your
3: halibut necklace. The halibut's yeah. kind of a hitter here. It looks good. Okay, here we go. Day, I'm
0: Ripping style homes. What?
4: Eesh. I think I ha- I don't think I have any idea. Yeesh Can I hear it one more time? Sure.
2: Yeah, ripping style homes.
4: I got nothing.
3: Okay, well, we talked about some videos. You kind of gave me your Rolodex of videos. She gave me probably like six videos, and of those six, I feel like that "ripping style homes" is like a famous quote. It is kind of, I mean, in my opinion, "ripping style homes."
4: Yeah, I can't even recognize that voice. That's actually throwing me off. Okay, that's
3: Louis Fountain. Mm.
4: Okay, so it's. It's gotta be well robot food. All right, All right. there now we go. There somewhere. we go. Now we're talking. Okay, um, wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna do shot in the dark here. Okay, so shot I'm gonna say it's lame.
1: Next
3: one. A- after lame. Yep. Okay, she got it. <laughs> what comes after lame? <laughs> but, wait,
4: but wait, I gotta guess the writer, don't I?
3: Well, it's a, montage. it's a montage. Oh, it's a montage. After lame <laughs> part. is the. I would just say after is the correct. Yeah. You know, it's part. hard to remember a
0: montage part.
3: It's harder to remember. Yeah, I Well, think. I was almost just of, saying
0: like a movie. Of
4: oh. course, I watched uh, this morning. What I watched, um, uh, after bang, so should have really. I picked the wrong one. That's well, no.
0: sick that so you're watching a movie this morning.
3: You, you uh, won yourself a Yeti uh, carry all. Woo. And,
4: um, thank you it's got
3: some bomb hole merch in there we got a bomb hole bucket hat some Buc-ies. hoodies smelling salts oh smelling salts yeah have you done one of those nope all right well after name that video part we'll smack a smelling salt smack to get back in good it. hopefully um, the
4: the group fares better than i did
3: <laughs> yeah and this is for the listeners uh if you guys know this comment on the photo of spencer on our instagram when her episode comes out that's where we pick our winner okay here we go Okay, thank you guys for playing. Name that video part.
1: <laughs>
3: all right, we said we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do a bit uh, of a let's run through bo- a wall, a bomb hole ceremony here. Ceremony. <laughs>
1: let's
4: run through
3: a wall. <laughs> 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 this is uh run through wall smelling salt. Now, what you do, buds? Would you like one? I would love one. Uh, a Percy. Yeah. And then uh, all you do is you squeeze it. And then it'll pop, and then you just give it a little, give a little whiff. So Maybe like, a waft.
4: Like I don't have to pop it at my nose, right?
3: No, you can just pop it down there and ease it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: There's nothing oh, like, that's nothing like like up on not first one. <laughs> that was not what I was expecting oh. at all. <laughs> Holy oh, shit! Oh my god, oh, I went too deep on that one. Oh
0: god, those ones <laughs> are, are potent. I'm going light. Yeah, those that's
4: that was different than i thought
0: yeah
3: who potent batch eh oh Oh my god
4: wow it really does wake you up though
3: yeah all right we're ready we're ready to keep going (laughs) oh my gosh
4: well glad i experienced that
3: (laughs) something new experience It's different (laughs) yep i think they they are available most likely right now i think they're available at bombhole.com too if you're interested in you can like taste it yeah yep (laughs) yes you can yes you can (laughs) let's talk plw yeah. Buds and I, we got a sneak peek of the yeah. film. I don't know by the time this comes out if it'll be out or not.
4: Um, yeah, I think it's going to be on YouTube in November. Okay. Um, But then we're also like, yeah, just kind of chatting with distribution for it to kind of iron all all that stuff out. I learned, I don't know a ton about that side of things. i am um, learned so much about what actually goes into making a movie uh, doing the production. But yeah, still a couple last minute things figuring out on that side. But uh, it will be on YouTube in November on TELUS's YouTube.
3: Have you been touring the festivals with it, the film festivals?
4: Um, yeah, we premiered last October at the Banff um, Film Festival and we won Audience Choice there, which was pretty Ooh, huge. Wow. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it was exciting um, and it was cool. That was my first time seeing it on like a movie sc- theater screen. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, it's just um, gotten a lot of really great reception and. A lot of people have reached out to me just to say that the story has resonated with them and that they have like shared experience and, um, which is like always super nice when um, you kind of like bare your soul in something and are like super vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's like super scary to put that into the world and, so, yeah. So it's just like really nice to like have it get a good reception and just have people connect with it.
3: Mm-hmm. There's so many good. There's so many good takeaways from it. Um, thinking about, I thought it was kind of fascinating. How, you know, talking about, I think a lot of people can relate to in the fact that when you're younger, you know, snowboarding, maybe you don't care about like family. Like, I'm not like, oh, I got to care. I got to make sure my my emphasis wasn't on family when I was younger. It was like, I'm going to snowboard and that's what I care about and like as you get older i've been reconnecting with my family and it's it's totally different but i feel like um in the sense like you you seem like you you found your connection later on like you you went back and into your heritage and connected and i think it it's obviously what changes with is is important as you get older and i was curious to ask like you know talking about your indigenous heritage it's it's so about nature and and animals and connecting and and then now you transition into a backcountry snowboarder and I was kind of wondering do you feel connected with nature and your culture through snowboarding
4: um yeah 100% um it's yeah it's actually like it was like a pretty interesting revelation for me to be like as I've started to learn more and I started to reconnect um with my family and with like and with my culture because it was like such something that I like really pushed away I didn't like being asked about it I like didn't hide it but I just like didn't make any effort to learn more or and and yeah, I think that's so important it's so important to like know where you come from and know like, that's a big facet of who we are and um and and yeah, as I've started to like open myself up to that and, and be re- being receptive to it, it, it's made me realize that a huge reason why I snowboard is because it makes me feel connected to my culture because I am in the mountains and, um, and yeah, just like kind of figuring out like where those two intersect and, um, how they can kind of build off one another has been really special.
0: Little- in, your, in your youth, did you kind of just run from it then and?
4: It, it, I didn't really run from it. I, I think it was just, it wasn't something that, like, my family wasn't culturally active. Mm. Like, we, we left Alert Bay and, you know, we, we just didn't do anything with it. Like, it we was just like. living
0: just like, normal Canadians and.
4: Yeah. And it was, like, something that I always knew. Like, I, I knew that I was native, but, you know, even, I didn't even know that we were part Haida until I was in my 20s. And, you, you know, like, I, I didn't even go that far deep to be like, what, like, what in what indigenous nation is my grand my great-grandmother from you know because she's full Haida and it's just like when you look at it like that you're like that's so crazy that I just like I never asked those questions and it never even crossed my mind to ask those questions until I was later and I think my family as a whole really owes a, a lot to my sisters because they've really um taken that role for our family of 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 like kind of rediscovering and reconnecting um when megan left snowboarding she became a um a full-time weaver and she does like the most incredible art um she weaves with cedar bark and also with mountain goat's wool and makes like it's kind of she does like the regalia that you'll you'd wear in ceremony at potlatch um and yeah like through her art that was kind of a big catalyst for our family and then it was a big catalyst for my sister avis who now works in indigenous communities and, you know, does using the culture as like um kind of like a catalyst for mental health within indigenous communities. So, um yeah, I'm just really grateful to, to my sisters and um they they've been really big mentors for me on this journey.
3: I love that. That's so cool. And and I I was thinking about this a bunch. Uh, one of the things I think is really cool about it is you know as as humans, we maybe think that like of the past a uh, hundred years or 50 years, like maybe these problems are, are new or ailments or whatever's going on in our, our body, physical health, mental health, whatever. And, um, you know, even going back to the Stoics, whether it's Stoics or indigenous, like, uh, people have, have figured stuff out a long time ago and humans have been going through a lot of the same issues that we go through today for a really long time. Like, like as far as, um, yeah, just just issues that we have. It's not new in, as of the past 50 years and there's a lot of um amazing remedies. And, you want to tap and, in, right? That that have that have that I'm sure indigenous people have used or stoics or whatever it being. Uh, have you learned any kind of like life skills that are applicable from your culture that you didn't really think about before?
4: Um it's actually funny we like joke about this in my family of like what was like my my indigenous skill like like in a past life or whatever, like, mm. you know, Megan's art. It's like, she was born to do that. Like her hands are from like another time. Um, you know, and then, and Avis is also, she's like a really good weaver as well. And she's also like, she's learning the language and she's um, really, really good singer and a drummer. And I'm like, well, what's mine? Like, I don't, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> and we kind of like, you know, I've done a, you know, cedar bark harvest and I've tried drumming and singing. I am not a drummer or singer but um we went uh razor clam harvesting when I was in Haida Gwaii last year and I think I was a forager and a harvester in a past life
0: you're just Um, killing it yeah just like (laughs)
4: getting after it um but yeah I think like that's a a really cool aspect of it is just like that a lot of those skills like you know like the halibut hook and like the way that people survive for a long time like a lot of those are super really beautiful ways to like harvest and to survive off the land without like taking too much from it and i think just kind of lean like you said like leaning back into like those these indigenous cultures that survived and lived in harmony with the earth for so many years i think there's a lot of takeaways that we can integrate into them into modern society and as we like try to like navigate climate change and all these different things that we're facing now
3: um cool and then we should talk about the name precious leader woman and how Mm. you got that
4: um, uh, yeah, so the film is called Precious Leader Woman. Um, and that is actually the English translation of my Haida name, which is Jad Kuyas in Haida. Um, and then I also have a Kwakwala name, which is Mokluga, and it means mountain goat woman. Um, so yeah, we chose to name the film Precious Leader Woman. Um, I think just like, cause it kind of like encapsulates like the journey that I'm, I'm on with my heritage and, Um, the names are really, really special. Um, the matriarchs in Haida Gwaii, it's the matriarchs of the clan decide what name you get. Um, and with our family, because my great grandmother left and she didn't ever go back to Haida Gwaii, um, we didn't have a lot of like a lot of names that were kind of up for use. So Leona, um, the matriarch of our clan decided to make me my, like a new name, um, And yeah, they, it's really interesting because they, you know, usually you'd get a name as a child and they, they kind of like put the names on, they'll give you like a name of your ancestor who they think that you embody and who you share similar characteristics with. And it's almost like a hope of like who you're going to become. Um, So it was like a really, really big honor to receive the name that I did and to like be given that role of, of, you know, of my clan and my people wanting me to be a leader and, you know, I don't necessarily think that I'm a hundred percent there yet, but I think I'm, I'm on that path. And, um, it just like, mean, it's just like, I don't know, it's just such a special gift. It like means the most to me. Like I, that name is like very, very close to my heart. Both my names are. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's really cool to be proud of that and to like, want to share that with people.
0: Mm-hmm. How did they, uh, they like foretold that you were going to get into the mountains with the mountain goat one?
4: Um, yeah, my, my Quackwilla name was given, um, I think in 2014. Oh, okay. cause so already may maybe in the mountains. A bit. Yeah. I was already in the mountains for sure. Um, yeah. So because like ov- obviously our family wasn't culturally active, we didn't get names till later uh, in life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they also like, they'll give you names that like kind of just represent you as well. So I guess they thought the mountain goat woman rec- re- represented the snow morning side.
3: That's cool. Yeah. Cool name. There was something cool in the documentary talking about how i might butcher this but something along the lines of how how i perceived it was that animals and humans are really connected like there's a human in every animal or something like that
4: um not that like there's a, a human in every animal but um especially in in like hi, in haida like they have like the supernaturals um and like the raven is one of those supernaturals um all the stories link back. Um, a lot of stories come from the raven. Like the raven is the one that brought the light, um, the light in the dark. And the the story of like the origin of the Haida people is, is a raven opening a clamshell. And he created like man and woman. And um, But yeah, there's like all, all these really beautiful stories in Haida culture um, that linked to animals in the natural world. And then each clan also has, you kind of have the rights to certain animals. Um, so I'm... We're Eagle clan. There's like two main clans at Hindu, Gwaii. There's Raven and Eagle and uh, um, a couple smaller ones as well. But um, we're Eagle. But even though we're Eagle, we actually have the rights like to basically to be able to wear like a raven. Um, so if I want to make a button blanket or a piece of regalia, I could have like a raven on that because our, our clan has rights to that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting how it gets broken up. But uh, um, I'm, I'm guessing you're kind of referring to like the very end of the film when I when I talk about that. Um. yeah anyways like last winter when I was like kind of like unsure of like everything not last winter the winter before when we were filming precious leader woman I was like oh like I'm doing this but like I don't know what's gonna happen like was this the right call all this stuff and kind of every time I felt like I kind of had a doubt in my mind about the path that I was on I like would see a raven like I saw them in the backcountry all that winter like so 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 many times and it kind of got to the point where I was just like, you know, it's like a sign. It's like, these are these are my ancestors, and this is this is leading me in the right direction. It's like pointing me where I'm supposed to be going and, and reassuring me that I'm on the right path.
3: Yeah, seeing that, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. The spiritual yeah. connectedness, too. Yeah. I think that, that that is... I'm fascinated with that. Well, I, I, have could, a p- I could talk about that all day. Quick but.
0: question about the rights. So if somebody uh it's some they can't take like raven from you that's only your guys's to use or like how does that work
4: um well, i think like yeah it's just like you have certain ones that like so if um it's trying to like think of an example your of, family name or it's yeah so like a clan is like um i guess it's, it's like a tribe yeah. basically kind of but like the it's like haida and then there's separate clans um and my clan is Kaosista Eagle Clan. Um. And yeah, within that clan, we have specific rights to certain animals and certain crests. Mm. So it's like basically the wake, what you can use for your regalia and basically to kind of, I guess, represent your family for kind of a lack of a better. That's
3: really, that's interesting and cool stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that the, just the nature, spirituality connection between animals and the whole ecosystem and how, how we're all, we're all connected in one way or another. Um, and it seems like that culture is is really tapped in on that.
4: Oh, yeah, big time. And it's when you when yeah, and I think when you get to like experience the culture and like see a potlatch or see, you know, I just was in Haida Gwaii to to see um a, a totem pole raising for the first time in my life and it was just like man, like the amount of people that go into that, like this is like a beautiful piece of art that's, you know, maybe carved by maximum you have a master carver and then you've got you know, a handful of people underneath him that put in years of work to carve this. But then the hundreds of people that are needed to like put that pole in the ground and raise it is, it's just so powerful. It's, and like, I don't know, it's just really been really beautiful for me to get to now experience those displays of our culture. And it just kind of brings it full circle. I think of like, we survived and our people are very, very resilient. And all of these things were tried they it was tried to be taken away from us. They tried to take away the art and the language, and the ceremony, and just to see it um, still being utilized is is just really beautiful.
0: And not only did they try, but they tried. They did everything <laughs> they could to to do that. So it's amazing. It is amazing and very resilient.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's um, yeah. It was just really beautiful to witness that and to see the the power of a community coming together to create a moment like that.
0: Was that totem pole raising, like one of those big, big ones like you were talking about?
4: Um It was, this one was 63 feet, so pretty big. Um And it's, um yeah, the Aguilannes clan in Haida Gwaii did it. So it's not my clan, it's the uh, other clan. But, um.
0: Geez, I've only seen like a 12 foot totem pole. <laughs> yeah, there's some There's big that ones. one in Haines that's like, I don't know, 10 feet or something. Or maybe larger, I don't know.
4: Yeah, there's, um. Yeah, there's some real big ones out there. And That's cool. I'll yeah, have to it's look cool. that up. Yeah.
3: Well, how's it been uh, transitioning into riding lines, particularly? He said Haynes, but Alaska. How's that? How was that first dipping the toe in?
4: Yeah, I went to AK for the first time this winter. That was uh, <laughs> pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Got the call to go up there with SmartWool, so was on a trip with Austin and Blake and Blair Havanak and Mary Rand. Pashley was with us, and Colin Wiseman um and it was yeah epic we went out to Sean dog's place in haynes and stayed there and we got in and first day it was like bluebird sick condition stable um and yeah we we got it it was like epic um but it's crazy we went to like this one zone called it's called buns of steel and uh we were kind of all lining up these lines and I was like, this is not what I expected. It's like these like pillow spines. I'm like, this is not what I was (laughs) expecting to ride. Like, what is this? (laughs) And you know, Blair, Blair was an absolute angel and just like really walking me through it and being such a big bro to me and Mary. Um, uh, super, super grateful to be on, to have my first day in Alaska, be with that guy. He's an absolute legend. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, we like went to do a run to kind of scope it from like everyone warm up and like scope it from the ground. And then kind of the clouds moved in and they pulled us out of the field and the, or half of us got pulled out cause we were sharing the heli. And then we like, I literally got in took my boots off and they're like, get back in the heli. We're going back out. I was like, ah, okay, get back in the heli. It's like me and Blair. We, we roll back in, drop the crew off or drop the, it was like me, Blair and all the media basically. Cause they just like pulled us out Um, and then dropped those guys off, went back up to the top and Blair was just like, get ready. Me and Spencer are going. And I was like, we are like, what? Really? He's like, yeah. What one do you want? I was like, <laughs> what about everybody else? He's like, nah, we're running out of light. We're going.
0: <laughs> just had to make the call.
4: <laughs> yeah. And he was right. Like, you know, that those lines only have a light till a certain time. And they were like mid run. So to like, wait for everyone to come up and then discuss mm-hmm. it and then decide who gets what. It was just like, he just pulled a full power move and was like, nah, we're going. And I was kind of like, Oh, I want to do this one. He was like, I'm doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'll do this one. And he's like, he's like, yeah, sounds good. And then uh, it was just like such a funny thing. Cause I like, I had looked at it, but like, I like asked him, he like walked me through it, which was super rad of him and super nice. And, and then he's like, okay, you guys ready? Blair's, Blair's going to drop. And I was like, um, can I, can I go first? Nice. I was like, I, I, I would like it if you were up here. For when I go." <laughs> just That's so nice
0: little safety though, to have him yeah, up there. Yeah. Just like, I was just, first I was just
4: stressing. I like have never done a line like that in my life and just like, well, what's happening but he was uh, just such a legend and, um, yeah. Um, got to do that line and then watch his from the bottom. And, uh, yeah, it was just like kind of life changing. Like what a you know, you grow up watching videos and seeing Alaska and I always wanted to go there and just being there was just like, I don't know. It was more than I ever could have dreamed of. And I just like, I told Sean Dog, I was like, you can have all my money until I die. Like, I'm coming back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's worked out a plan right then and there. Well, we happen to have, have all a, my guess, cash. We
3: happen having a guest question from none other than Robin Van Jin. Here we go. Mm.
4: Hey, Bombhole. This is Robin. Just want to say I'm a huge fan of the show, and I can't wait to hear about all of the mysteries of Spencer O'Brien, a.k.a. Backcountry Spence. My guest question is about her new main man, (laughs) Buns. Spencer, tell us about how you decided to take home the wildlife from Alaska and how we got his name. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Thanks, Robin. Um, Yeah, so this ties in perfectly because when we were in Alaska, uh, Sean Dog's family dog had just had a litter of puppies, and they were six weeks old when we were there. So I was like literally in heaven. We were like riding pow and then I was snuggling puppies and I was like, this is the best place ever. I'm never leaving. Um, And everyone was joking around that I was going to take a dog home. And I was like, nah, I'm not taking a dog home. Like I can't, I can't have a dog. And then actually this huge, I was supposed to be in Alaska for three weeks and this huge windstorm came and like completely fucked everything. Like we literally spent two days, just like bluebird days, just watching all the snow disappear. And, um, we woke up and everyone's like, Hey, we're booking flights. Everyone's getting out of here. So pulled the pin on the trip and we were flying home. And I was like, what about, what about buns? Mm. I was like the dog, like, Oh no. And I just, I just was like, screw it. I'm taking this dog home. And I spent like the next like four hours, like booking my flight and like researching how to import a dog into Canada and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I did it I got him uh, We across the border and we flew home and um but yeah like it he started to get bigger and I was like kind of looks like a wolf what yeah I was like like he just like he when I first got him he looked like this cute little like lab like his mom's a lab Malamute <laughs> and they didn't know like they didn't know who the dad was like just like so rogue Alaska and
0: uh, here's a wolf.
4: I get home. I'm like this dog looks kind of funky. Like, And um, then he stole food from me the first time. And I was like, Oh my goodness.
0: He straight stole food.
4: Oh yeah. And he's like scary when he steals food. I'm like, oh well, I'm kind of scared of this like baby puppy. Like what the heck? Um, wow. And then someone in Alaska did a DNA test. And it turns out the dogs actually are part wolf. Um, so they think That's what incredible. happened is like a wolf wandered onto the property and like, Knocked up their dog Inja, and yeah, they like, you know, I took home a puppy which I didn't know was a wolf at the time. That is crazy. And uh, now I have a wolf dog, which I do not recommend. They are extremely, <laughs> extremely challenging animals.
0: <laughs> They're <laughs> just bosses, or what? Like pack leader?
4: Oh my god! Well, yeah, like food's quite
0: gnarly. Yeah,
4: it, yeah, it can be. He's we've we've been doing a ton of training, and I'm like really trying to give him the best shot of like being a being as dog-like as possible (laughs) but he's he's awesome he's such a cool dog and he's a he's just they're super smart and they're like super independent and super stubborn um so yeah like training is really really important and uh Uh, i'm gonna have it's like i keep joking like yeah i got this free dog but now i have to buy a new car and buy a new house (laughs) (laughs) buy some acreage for my wolf
3: he probably wants to to roam they like to roam they like
4: to roam exactly so i don't really have like the best setup for him right now we like spend a lot of time on big walks in the woods and stuff um because i don't have like that space for him to just constantly be roaming around yet um but yeah it's been a really interesting transition and i'm like. I think there's a reason that I you came into my life, there, Bunsy boy, but I'm not sure what it is yet. <laughs> oh yeah, Bunsy and then boy. his name is um his full name is Buns Sean the Dog O'Brien, <laughs> so he's named after his granddaddy, and then um also off my first run in AK, which was Buns of Steel.
0: Let's give Buns incredible, at <laughs>
4: yeah, Bunsy boy.
0: Now, is there any uh, level of danger with Buns?
4: Um. No, like, like will he's, he come and go
0: for the trot or what?
4: No, no. Um, I mean, I think, like, any dog, if you know you're, you don't nurture the right parts of them, yeah. you can end up with yeah. an aggressive dog or whatever. Yeah, you
0: meet these pit bulls that are just angels, and then you meet these other ones that are, yeah, totally. Not and, I, and
4: I think, I think wolf dogs are like really in that same category as pit bulls, like, they have a lot of stigma around them and a lot of like misconceptions. And, um, I think I got really lucky with Buns, he's considered a mid content wolf dog, which is actually like in the world of wolf dogs, not that much wolf. It's crazy. People like breed them to be like 80, 90% wolf, which wow. I actually like, don't agree with it at all. Like I'm surprised it's it, even legal. Yeah. It, it, it isn't in a lot of States. It's actually illegal in Alaska. So they actually had to rehome all the dogs that ended up in homes in Alaska. When the person did the DNA test, um, they, they had, had to find them home. Yeah. They got all returned to Sean dogs and they had four weeks to find them homes in legal States. Um, but luckily none of them got euthanized. So that's great. And they, uh, a, um, a sanctuary in Colorado took them on.
3: That's dope. Yeah. Uh, now, going back to new sponsors. So, you got on Arteryx. You're doing a project with them. Did we talk about that?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, this winter, last winter, I, I, um, yeah, I signed with Arteryx, which has been freaking awesome. They, like, made some power moves on the female snowboard side. They signed Elena a couple years ago, and then they just signed me and Robin. Um, so, pretty <laughs> fired up for that crew. Um, uh yeah, we're trying to we're in chats now to like try to do something together like with like the whole women's team of of Arteric. So fingers crossed that that kind of comes to fruition cuz I think it'd be really great to just do something with with such a powerhouse female team. Mm-hmm. Um and then yeah, last winter I started a project with Leo Horn who is um the DP on Precious Leader Woman and he's done a ton of really awesome stuff um with Sherpas and a bunch of other people but yeah, he Really wanted to do this like kind of more creative project that's like a lot about turning. Um and we used a phantom cam a bunch last year and um yeah, we're just kinda like getting that going. So we're gonna film again for it this year. Um and it's gonna be called uh, Ether Five and hopefully I actually don't know exactly when it's gonna be. It might be out middle of the winter or it might be out next year. We'll see how I do. <laughs> see how many shots you I get. You got this. Yeah, but I'm I'm excited. It's um especially after Precious Leader Woman, I was like I don't wanna talk this year. <laughs> yeah, I was
3: going to those those uh, movie like uh, premieres and just having a stadium full of people just listening to you talk talk with your family and
4: Oh, it was so nerve wracking. Like I actually it was worse, like I, I, I had a harder time bringing the movie to like the communities that we filmed in. Like we we premiered it in Alert Bay, Mount Kane, and Massett. And I was like more nervous for that. Like it was like way less people, but like I knew everybody kind of and I like wanted you know, I wanted them to like it more than anyone else. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a, I, sometimes I watch it and I'm like, whoa, I really put that into the world. Okay.
0: I really still, enjoyed it. I yeah. have to say just getting that like view into another world for me and it was just seeing the family and the generations and, and learning and snowboarding and really cool.
4: Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you guys got to check it out and you liked it.
3: We got a little sneak also, peek. Also, uh, Crewa Shapes is that what you're? Are you still riding Crewa Shapes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I, with
4: them for a few years now.
3: I think they're cool. Like for for people out there that like to turn and rip powder and want a really special snowboard. I I think it's a it's a super cool brand.
4: Yeah, they've been awesome. Um, it was started by Stefan Maurer and Nicholas Vulcan. Um, and me and Moo were friends from back in the Burton days. Um and yeah i just like really wanted to go to japan a few years ago and i Moo had done like all these like really sick front follows with like hitch for his projects and mm-hmm. i was like yeah can we go to japan like i want you to film and yeah those are late on
3: the air horns. yeah keep going. it's all right <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: delayed but, um yeah he was like oh well i'm already going with crew at that time and then he like messaged me a couple of days later was like do you just want to come like would you ride a karua and i was like for sure um and then it was a few weeks before the trip and he like actually left the brand. He took a job with on running and, um, he's like, yeah, I'm not coming to Japan anymore. And I was like, am I still invited or and like, yeah, Nico and, and Aaron were like, do you want to come? Like, you don't like, I was like, if that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, I ended up <laughs> going to Japan for 10 days, um, with like a bunch of dudes I didn't know. <laughs> And it was the best time ever. Um, I love those guys. And it was hilarious because I got off the plane and I had two black eyes from X Games.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I like came, flew from X Games to that trip and just like double, like looked like a raccoon. Um, but uh, yeah, they were, it was awesome. It was such a great time with them. And ever since then, I've, we've just uh, been working together. And I think we're going to go back to Japan this winter. So really excited to get to hang with those guys again.
0: Is that the trip that you filmed a uh, sun? Sonokuru? Yes. Yeah, a Patreon member, uh, CC Nelson, asked about that, but you basically covered his question.
3: Oh, thanks, Cece. <laughs> explain for the listeners that don't know what the boards are all about.
4: Um, yeah, so Karua, um is all about kind of like the quiver, I would say, um, and it's about having like – and they're really dedicated to the turn. It's like a lot of their boards are built for turning um, and not like so freestyle-focused. Um, and it's been really cool for me cause I'm like actually so particular about what I ride. Um, I still like, I just like, I rode the same board forever and for park, like just like really set in my ways and didn't like to change things up. So starting to ride pow and backcountry and like experimenting with different shapes has been really fun. Um, so yeah, I have like, you know, probably three boards from them that I kind of filter through depending when I'm riding. Um, I really love the auto, which is kind of like they're more all around, like it's like their freestyle board, but that's what I jump on in the backcountry. Um, the transition finder, I ride lines on a lot. It's a bit wider, big shovel nose. And then they have this really sick board called the dart, which is like a swallowtail shovel nose, which is like just the Japan board pretty much.
3: The dart. or like the, the dart. <laughs> yeah. In Canada, it would be called the date. The, the dart. It's going to smoke a dart. <laughs> Make All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about some socks. Jed rides them, Jill Perkins rides them, and I ride them. Of course, you know I'm talking about Stance. If you've ever had a pair of socks with that icon logo on the ankle, then you know about Stance socks. Stance has been making some of the most comfortable and creatively designed socks and underwear for the snowboarding community for a while now. Lately, their designers have been bringing the same winning formula to clothing. We're talking joggers. We're talking hoodies, hats and tees. Toe-to-head comfort and creativity. Head on over to stance.com now and use promo code the bombhole all caps. Again, that's promo code the bombhole in all caps to save 20% off your first order. You know that socks are a great gift. Holidays right around the corner. Everybody loves socks. Anyway, head on over to stance.com. Use promo code thebombhole for 20% off. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bubs Naturals. Now, first things first, the coolest thing about Bubs is the fact that it's owned by Snowboarders. So it's uh, Snowboarders for Snowboarders. You know, they support the show. So. Might as well support them. With that being said, uh, Jeremy, you broke both of your legs in an avalanche a few years ago, and I know you used some some bubs for your road to recovery. How did it help?
2: It grew my bones back. I mean, straight up. I had the doctor, you know, at two years in tell me I needed another surgery, bigger rods. Uh, the bone wasn't going to grow back. I didn't like the sound of it. Um, I got on the bubs consistent, and over the course of two years, I grew a ton of bone back enough for my right leg to remodel and and do its thing and become strong again uh awesome skin um you know my nails grow like crazy uh joints move smooth i mean it it lube me up good i notice when i don't take it i mean immediately really cool
3: well it's a it's a protein powder so how do you how do you take this stuff
2: i mean however you want i prefer it in in tea coffee, um, smoothies. Smoothies is my favorite. That's kind of the morning jam. And, uh, but really the, the protein powder is tasteless. So you could even do it in water. I don't recommend that. There's better ways. It's just more enjoyable.
3: I like it with a little coffee. Yeah. That's the way to go. And if you're interested in picking up some bubs, uh, 10% of all profits go to charity, which is cool, but you can head on over to bubsnaturals.com use promo code bombhole, all lowercase. Again promo code bombhole at bubsnatural.com for 15% off. Buds, I think it's time for the pub beer crap shoot.
0: My favorite time, brother.
3: Are you cracking can?
0: I'm cracking can and I got in my hand here a pub beer. It is cheap, fun, and delicious. That's their
3: motto, cheap fun beer. Always going in for a sip.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, if you're thinking about making a, a long mustache, I get to save some for later. You yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If you want to make a twelve pack into a zero pack, uh, get yourself a pub beer, obviously responsibly. Um, all right. So now, you, oh, let's well, hit the theme, theme music. I forgot oh, yeah. the theme music.
1: Welcome to the Pub Dice. Beer Crab Shoot. Come on, crack me, crack me, crack
3: me. All right, you roll them. We'll tell you what you got to do. Three. Three. What would your house party entrance theme song be?
0: I love this one. It's a good one. Ooh.
3: It's a tough... It's a thinker, though. You got to think about that. Yeah,
4: that's a hard one. I mean, I, my, my like... If this was, like, you had to answer immediately, it would have been Eye of the Tiger.
0: That's a great <laughs> answer, <laughs> Dude, Eye <laughs> the Tiger. Solid. Right when you're rolling. <laughs> Just imagine if there was really that dude... dude. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Right? Is that I had the tiger? It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's a really dun, good entrance dun. song, I think. If there was somebody that queued up entrance songs for your parties, that'd be pretty yeah. cool.
4: Um, I was kind of hoping it was going to be Snake Eyes and I was going to tell a story about Sage, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, from, do it.
3: Snake Eyes. It let's just looks say. Like snake Eyes. I
4: know. I got. I thought I got it for a second there. This one's but...
3: about number, number two in your pants?
4: Uh, yeah, I'm just going to throw Sage under the bus here, real quick.
3: Yeah, let's do it. We like that.
4: Um, he did like a. Uh, like built this huge ass jump in Mammoth, um, probably oh. in like 2012. <laughs> he wanted
3: to learn the triple cork or something? Yeah, yeah. did he yeah. tell? I, th- I think I he, don't remember, but I know the story. The keep, keep going, keep yeah, going, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. So he, he basically we had this jump built like so he could learn triple corks. Um, but he invented invited all his buddies, like Max Warmington was there, Sam Taxwood, uh, Griffin. Um, and then Sage is just a legend. And there was like a few girl shoots that were happening that he was like, Oh, are you going to those? And I was like, Oh, I didn't get invited. And he was like, Oh, like that sucks he's like oh do you want to come ride with us and I was like yeah so we, I got to go ride with them and it was such a good time and on the last day he was like Uh, oh, I guess I'm gonna try the triple but and he tried it and he got you know he kind of like bum dropped pretty hard like got it around but like didn't quite get his board under his feet and it like looked pretty painful but he's like no, no I'm good. I'm gonna try it again it was close it was close and he tried it two more times didn't get it but kind of the same fall like right to his ass and then everyone's like you know like whatever good try man like that was sick and he he comes up and we're like kind of getting all ready to go and he's like oh guys i got like something to tell you he's like i kind of shit my pants (laughs) (laughs) and we were like what we're like on on that last one and he was like no the first one (laughs) (laughs) no
0: He's been riding dirty the whole session. Yeah,
4: he's like but then I, I was kind of close so like I couldn't stop. I just had to try it again and it was like it was insane cuz he got kind of close to me and I was like dude, I can smell you like you oh, it's move so gross. Away. Oh man. That's, yeah. Especially but, you know,
0: for the session like having it that long.
4: Dude, yeah, well, at least it was only, like, three hits. It was, like, he tried, I think he tried three or four times max, so it wasn't, like, a super long time, yeah, but
3: I was, session. like,
4: the dedication to the Triple Sage mm-hmm. is really...
3: That's commitment. Yeah, Six hopefully you don't hate session. me now, buddy. One of the other questions on there, number 10, is, uh, perfect 10, what's the biggest prize check you've won?
4: Uh, Biggest prize check is, I think it was 40K at the Open
3: respectable
0: yeah very respectable those are some cheddar right biscuits yeah. 40k
4: yeah that was like a full by default too that was crazy because i i won semifinals, or i won semi-finals i qualified first for finals and then they um we ended up canceling the event because of because of wind <laughs> and uh, like it was like a blizzard and um yeah so i just won 40 grand kind of by default Wow. Did you practice
3: sweet. the 10% rule?
4: I, I did, actually. It wasn't quite 10%, though, but I took, like, 15 people out to like uh, to Matsuhiju in Vail and dropped in on a big old fancy sushi dinner for everybody.
3: That's Respect. nice. Yeah. Respect. Now, I got one note from... I didn't get a guest question from MFR, but she just said something. She, she said, I want her to know that she's a boss... And then she said something about Fairy Creek. What does Fairy Creek mean?
4: Oh, um, so, um, Fairy Creek is um kind of a watershed in, um, Pachydat territory on Vancouver Island near Victoria, and it's a lot of like there's a lot of old growth trees there, and so. Um, the Fairy Creek movement is actually the largest act of Canadian civil disobedience in history. There's been like 1,600 arrests or something crazy wow. um, from people trying to protect old growth forest. Um, and basically, the for they were there for almost a year and then like an injunction happened wh- which allowed the police to actually use force to remove them. Like your right to protest is gone. Like you gotta go. And Marie had been bugging me to go out there with her like all last summer. And I finally... Um, Agreed to go. I was like, dude, I gotta like stop just like posting about shit on social media. Like, gotta put my money where my mouth is. Like, yeah, let's go. I'll go to the freaking forest with you. Let's do it. And I had no idea what we were getting into. And we like raided headquarters at, like two in the morning, like in like a big ball of people, and like cop. Like the next day, they like maced people that did that. So we were like Jeez. really lucky we didn't get maced. <laughs> and whatever, we made it in, and we were like, it's just crazy. It's just like was like a full cu- couple days of, like, police confrontation with, like, all these, like, forest defenders. And it was just, like, so heartbreaking to see, like, the way that, you know, the police force was treating people that were just, like, trying to protect something that they care about um, and who all, like, weren't fighting back, like, weren't doing anything, to me, they were doing anything wrong. Um, it's just, like, crazy for, like, industry to have, like, a private police force, basically. But, um, yeah, there was one point in that trip where... Um we sat down and like linked arms with like 20 other people to like try to protect the kitchen cuz they were like destroying everything. Um uh and cuz they'd been there for a year, so they were like pretty set up. And we sat in this group and the cops were like four people at a time just like ripping people away and putting them in a paddy wagon and um it was like two people away from me and I was like Marie, um are are you coming with me? Like, please don't leave me. <laughs> She's like, no. If you go, I go. <laughs> We're going together. Wow. But yeah, luckily uh, we got real close to getting arrested, but we didn't, and uh, not for lack of trying. We tried. Pretty and they
0: would have but... really like it would been real, the real arrest.
4: Well, I think your first time with something like if you resist arrest, ah. like if you like fought back, then, then yeah, you're deeper. screwed. Yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. But if they just like take you, it's just civil. It's a civil disobedience charge, which isn't really that bad.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, Respect. that's probably what she's talking Respect. about. <laughs> well, let's get Respect. into hot takes. Hot takes is a classic staple. on the show here. It's a staple. Uh, we like to start off with the Michael Jordan or goat of snowboarding, both male and female. Who you got?
4: Um, this is a hard one because I feel like there's like, there is. I mean, it's so personal, right? And there's so many different aspects of snowboarding. It's I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go with Victoria for women. Love um, that answer.
3: Love that answer. We give you air horn for that.
4: Yeah. I just think, yeah, I, I look at the lines that she did in AK and they still hold up today. And I think there like hasn't really been anyone that has stepped into those shoes fully yet. Um, mind you, I heard Elena and Jamie kind of destroyed Valdez this year. So I'm really, really excited to see that footage. And, um, but yeah, Vic is lifelong inspo for me. I still look at her shit and like, how do I emulate that? Um, and then for guys like, uh I, I struggle with this one. I don't know. Um, I think, I think T rice is a big one. I mean, I think out of people who have had a more like kind of hit every genre of snowboarding and had the impact he's had, um, I guess I'm going to have to go with him.
3: Good answer. We don't <laughs> catch him out in the streets much though, do we? No, you know what? True. I went to us open back in, I don't know, probably Oh three or something like that. And he I think he got third in the rail jam. Really? He just handled. He it. actually can, he fucked up a rail jam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah I mean, he's got like when you're good, X you're Games good. medals and slope
0: and stuff. Yeah. But yeah,
4: maybe not like legit street rail parts. But
0: Bring him on a straight up street trip.
4: But that's the thing. You need like a goat for street, a goat for back. Like there's yeah.
3: just
0: like so many different it's genres. Hard, hard thing to pick. Yeah,
3: it All is hard. Who's the most underrated?
4: Ooh. Um, I'm going to go any Rookie Yarvi on that. Um I think Annie's a low low key legend. Um she's like her like comp resume is pretty mental. Um and that girl like is so sick at everything and she's just so technical and has such good style and she's so good at backcountry and I like can't wait to steal her from the contest scene and Get her out there because she's going to blow people's minds.
0: You're going to steal her I'm and an get, her, get her yeah. in that powder?
4: I'm like, quit riding contests already, everyone. Come ride <laughs> with me. Have more fun. I feel like I've just instantly turned into Leanne, Robin, and Marie. I'm like, come, come, come to the dark side.
3: Okay. <laughs> steel or powder? Powder. Okay. Best style ever?
4: Giggy. Mm.
3: Great answer. Uh, best snowboard video?
4: Um shouldn't say i shouldn't say after lame hey
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> um best snowboard movie ever um i think the one that had the biggest impact on me was probably TB9 TB9 yeah
3: another great answer best board graphic ever in your opinion
4: uh oh i'm i'm a real sucker for muhammad ali he's like my favorite athlete of all time um and burton did the muhammad ali collab and i actually straight up just like ordered that board and bought it for my wall wow i
3: don't know i can't think of it i haven't seen i can't think of the graphic it's it's
4: sick they actually like bought the rights to like a really famous photo of him and it's Uh, literally just like it's like like a photo of him he's
0: looking Mm -hmm. all mean like yeah
1: yeah that one classic photo
4: yeah it's like black and white yeah that one but i think for like i don't know it's so hard classics like i i kind of got to say the shannon dunn burton pro model with the the dolphin on the base and the stars and the moon Because that was my first snowboard.
3: Respect. Respect. Okay. uh, If you go heli boarding with three people, just good times. And mind you, this can also be celebrities. I just like to include that. Who are you taking?
4: Well, Victoria. Because that's I always wanted to go to AK with her. Um, Or heli with her. Um, Mofo. And... I'm going to throw Gasser in there just because uh, I like putting her in situations where she's uncomfortable. Be a solid crew. <laughs>
3: Gasser. Be a solid crew. Okay. First try go to step down trick. Like back. What's your back country? Like you get to a jump. I know I can land this first try trick.
4: Uh, It's always back three, but step down. I, I
3: kind of like cab five for step down. See, I thought you were going to say switch back one. You got to switch back one too.
4: I do. I haven't. I've yeah, I did that on that one rainbow step down. Um, there, yeah, that was the last trick I did on that, or no, calf. I was the last trick I did on that. Yeah, switchback ones up there though.
3: Those are all good choices. Okay, uh, beaver slap. You know, in the lift line, smacking the tail. What's your take on it?
4: I'm a huge culprit.
3: Okay, <laughs> she's an advocate. She's an advocate. <laughs> I okay.
4: now ask people in the lift line about what do you what do you think of this?
3: <laughs> yeah, I had a skier point basically pointed out to me. I never even knew he did it. You know, They're like what's with the beaver slap? I was like, oh damn. um okay and then last one worst trend what do you got
4: uh worst trend i'm gonna go with like how divided snowboarding feels right now i feel like it's really like contest snowboarding backcountry snowboarding street snowboarding um and yeah i like kind of missed the old days of like everyone did a little bit everything and everyone was into a little bit of everything and i hope we can get back to that where like snowboarding is just snowboarding
3: I love that answer. I don't think we've gotten that one either. Okay, I'm going to throw a one off the off the cuff best trend in snowboarding.
4: Best trend, uh, best trend in snowboarding is how stoked people are on female riding right now.
3: Awesome, yeah. Let's should we we should get into that. Uh, what? Where are we at with that? Where can we be better? What's your thoughts?
4: Uh, I think it's it's in such a good place right now. I think like especially level wise, like man, just like what the girls are doing and like i mean huge props to jamie man like she's still the best and has been doing it for so long like i purposely didn't put her as my goat because everyone puts her as the goat and she is but um you know it just i think she's also has still so much left to give which is really cool um but yeah and I, i just think like seeing the level right now like zoe cool annika morgan anna um, it's just like, it's kind of mind bending. Like The girls are absolutely destroying it and doing it with such good style too. Um, it's kind of a place like I never thought I would see the sport go to. So it's really exciting to get to watch it. Um, but yeah, I think as, as an industry, I think it's also getting better. I think people are more excited than ever to watch female riding and, um, and girls are being supported a lot more, but I think there's still a lot of room to grow. Um, and I think especially in the back country, I think, it's really cool to see what Arteryx did. Like, I think there's not a lot of companies that like have, you know, that many women on their roster that like ride backcountry. And I think I would love to see that kind of teams get more rounded out where it's not just like the token girl or the token rail girl or the token backcountry girl. Like just see see a little more little more variety and a little more numbers in the game.
1: Mhm.
3: Well said. Well said. It's come a long way, but it's got a long way to go, but it's headed in the right direction, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah yeah it's been really fun to watch the the progression over the past few years it's just it feels like it just hit like somebody just poured gasoline on the fire and and zoe and Tess cody and it's just it's been unbelievable and then chloe in the pipe and the style is so good it's it's been so fun to watch so
4: yeah it's it's i like yeah i watch it now i'm just like dude how was i ever even how did i have any skin in this game (laughs) Like you girls, they're just taking it to a whole nother level, and yeah, I, d- I just forgot to mention Tess. That girl's mm-hmm. sickest style, and yeah, like Zoe's back double twelve the other day at Jossie's event, and I don't know. Yeah, it's just he, he can go on for days, and it's just it's a really exciting time. It's super fun to watch, and um I'm just like super proud of everybody. I love I love it. I feel like a proud mama.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's cool um okay lastly we always talk setups uh you know our listener likes to know what board you ride bindings how you set it up etc
4: uh yeah so i'm running the uh shapes auto one kind of alternate between the 52 and the 57 um or sorry 53 or 57 depends what i'm kind of going for um but uh i usually typically always rock that with like a 19 and a half inch stance um Positive twelve on the front, negative three in the back for like jumping, and then I kind of swap that. If I am like grinding lines, I go. I actually go posy posy.
0: Respect. Yeah. On oh, the lines.
4: Yeah. And hey, you are not grinding switch. I am not. I am not doing no switch tricks and, and lines mm-hmm.
0: yet. <laughs> it's really, just how your knees and your legs are. I gave posy yeah. posy a try, and just not for me. It's it's
4: not a lot. Like I do like plus three. Oh, Okay. Like not a ton, and then I just like That's I'll like, go a little like, more on the front like plus fifteen. But yeah, I am starting to be like mix it up a little bit. I had literally had the exact same stance and the exact same setup forever. Um, so now that I have, yeah, why like, not mix it up. Yeah, well, I'm just like i just not. I don't know. I like. I think my stance has got a little narrower since I started riding more more backcountry and, yeah, just kind of playing around with it um, for lines to see what what works best. Yeah. But I'm running um, Union bindings um, on on the on that, and then also the Vans Viaje, my go to boot.
3: And do you uh, detune your edges at all?
4: Not. Anymore, I do for parks still.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering with the contest scene, it's so important to wax your board to get over the jumps. Like they have wax techs. Are you still on on wax like maniac mode, or is that is that uh, wax you, maniac? Yeah, you I know. Like that.
4: <laughs> um, I severely, severely miss Ryan McDermott. Um, oh, it's giving him <laughs> a <yeah>. bigger <laughs> Freaking love that man to mm-hmm. death. What an angel. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a great guy. He's just. I mean, I can't even imagine having done my competitive career without him no. at the top of every contest. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Um, and just a magician with a snowboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I no longer send all my boards to him to get them prepped for the year. It's definitely less of a thing, but I, I still wax my boards. And I like, I, I actually really miss having that, like just having him prep them for the year because then they just like take wax way better. And they just like, they just look so healthy and nice mm-hmm. when they're taken care of.
0: They don't dry out.
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, I find if you don't, like, base grind them and, prep and like, hot box them and prep them at the beginning of the year, they just dry out.
3: Yeah, talk about that because I probably, a lot of our listeners don't even know yeah. what that is.
4: Um, yeah, well, there's this whole science to waxing snowboards, which I I don't know how to do it because Ryan always did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, he kind of, like, what most people, pretty much every national team rider, like, big contest rider does is they ship their boards to Colorado to Ryan. They'll, he'll get, like, whatever, four to eight, however many you get for the year depends on the person i guess but um i do usually get three or four shipped out to him and he preps them for like different times of year um and different like types of snow and they basically base grind them to get them nice and leveled then they put them in like this like hot hot box um they like wax them and then like allows the wax to like really penetrate and they like leave them in there for like 12 hours um and then basically you just have like this like wealth of wax like built up into your board and then, and then he'll, like, grind them and put structure in them based on, like, what time of year. So you'll have, like, a different structure in your board for spring because the snow grain is different. I don't know. It's, like, all this crazy science. It's, like, pretty nerdy. Like picked
0: up a lot out there, huh?
4: Yeah, I don't know how to do any of it to my snowboard, <laughs> but I can talk about
0: it. <laughs> I got one more question. What kind of transceiver are you using out there?
4: Uh, I am using uh, the Vox. Oh, no. Is that the right one? Arthavox. No, no. I Mary box is one. It's sure. the, the the Mammut one. Mammut. Yeah, that one. Yeah. It's fancy.
0: Yep. I, I yeah, just, I just I, wonder wonder what the the dope transceiver is because I'm sure that our people would like to know, you know?
4: Yeah, the Mammut one is like, I just like went straight to the girls. I was like, well, because I actually had a Peeps mm-hmm. for when we went to Japan. I bought a new, new transceiver because my other one was like a Tracker One from like 2008. <laughs> I was like, mm, maybe time for a new one. So I went and got a new, I got a Peeps, but then they had the big recall on them. So then I just said, screw it, and was like, what's the one? And everyone said said the the mammut, so I went not got that. What's
3: funny is multiple Peeps, burials Peeps was on yeah. its
0: way to making it where people would just call transceivers
3: Peeps, and then oh. they uh, they lost it.
4: Yeah, they, they kind of blew that one, I they think. They blew it,
3: yeah. yeah. Now, if you could go back in time, actually, maybe not back in time, but just advice for um, someone that's maybe a younger you, but just somebody that's trying to come up in, in snowboarding. Um, do you have any advice for an aspiring
4: snowboarder? I th- I think, I mean it's super cliche to say but like um I mean, like have fun and like remember why you do it. There was like a point in time for me um when I first started getting paid and having to do like stuff for sponsors and, and it kind of like felt like all of a sudden I had to like kind of snowboard on command a little bit and that for me was like super hard. Um because I I just got stressed out by the pressure of it. And I I, kind of forgot why I snowboarded. Like I I lost the fun and I lost the passion for it. And um, for me, that's like always been my anchor in the sport is like –
3: Yeah. Like kind of don't lose sight of why you fell in love with it in the first place kind of thing. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Totally. Cause all, all that other stuff, like, you know, especially if, you know, if you're someone who wants to become a pro snowboarder and get sponsored, like all that stuff, it can like muddle it, you know, and, and there's a lot of, you're getting pulled in a lot of different ways. And, um, yeah, I, kind of lost sight of it for a bit and, um, kind of coming back to that. I was like, okay, I got to hold on to that little piece and keep that as the, the center.
3: All right, lastly, we just want to see if you want to throw out any thank yous.
4: Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, well, thank you guys for having me on. This has been such a pleasure. Um, Super big fan of the show and happy to have finally gotten out here and gotten to spend some time with you guys. Um, And, I mean, frick, you can't thank everyone. But, yeah, I got to throw a shout out to the girls, to Marie, Robin, and Leanne. Thank you guys for taking me under your wing and teaching, teaching me how to be back under Spence. <laughs>
3: Love it. Well, Love we it. Want, want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure chatting. It's been a blast. And thank you to all the listeners, everybody that tunes in, everybody that supports us and buys merch, and all our sponsors and all our Patreon members. You guys kick ass. And we got another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Over and out from the bomb hole.